Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howls, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders. Your vision, their experience delivered. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Make the Difference. Today, we are going to be talking about some nerdy Asian stuff, which is right at my alley with a fellow Asian. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about fireground communications and what that entails and the technology that goes around that, where it's been, where it's going. Uh, so today's going to be more of a fire specific one, so it'll be a tactical hour. Uh, so Chris Stewart is back again, of course, and then our guest today is actually the father of a friend of mine who is a retired uh, division chief who is now working for the government, um, helping them uh, with their communications problems, probably making them a lot better. But we have Mike Worrell here today. So welcome, Mike. And I'll let uh, Chris maybe get a little more background since they've known each other since um, Chris had hair. Yeah. Well, that that is a long time. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Mike is my brother from another mother. Um, and we we go back way way back uh, even before and before the academy. So, um, and I thought it was important to have Mike on here simply because he uh, has a pretty fantastic history and a f- pretty fantastic uh, understanding and 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 vision now at this point of how technology and the fireground uh, fireground communications actually are coming together and how they're uh, how we're exploiting them in, in a positive way and then how uh, <laughs> they're actually challenging it and making it harder for us in certain and in, in other ways so um, uh, yeah so it's kind of my uh, it's my absolute pleasure that Mike's here today so I think we should probably get into kind of the way we've always done these with with our guests is so where did all this start and where uh, where did where did this uh, where did your uh, where you are today? How did it begin? You gotta go way back, like way back childhood, like before Cody was even sperm. Okay, I'll go back. I'll go back <laughs> yeah. to uh huh, Arkansas. I, I did, no, I'll go back to Maryvale High School. I didn't realize this, but uh, I was I was telling somebody that was in this pals league for softball and or something. And anyway, it was a police officer. And he goes, "You're a pals kid." I go, "Well, what's what's that got to do anything?" He goes, those kids never make it. He goes, he goes, you're probably the only pals kid <laughs> that's ever made anything of yourself. So well, I didn't what, realize how bad I had it. Wow. Those pals. Police, police Athletic League? Yes, Police Athletic League was a program where I guess at risk kids, they pair them up with a police officer and they go hang out in the afternoon and play baseball and you know stuff like that. So, gotcha. Huh. Yeah. So 
that was way back in Maryville High School, so back in the 70s. Was David Nunez a pal kid? I don't know if David was. I always thought Dave was really cool because Dave had this, uh, he had this big old long, you know, lion's mane of a hair <laughs> and had this fast Camaro and, you know, right. ran wrinkle walls, at, you know, yeah. to school and stuff. And Nothing's stuff. changed. Yeah. 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 He, he still, still does it. it. He yeah. still does Same it. Same guy. Yeah. yeah. Same hair. Yeah. Yeah. Same cool cars. Uh-huh. Then his brother, I played football with his brother. His brother and I were in the same class. So. Nice. Nice. But, but yeah, after that, uh, after Maryville, I was... So my, Maryvale really kind of set you up for your that's future the foundation. Success. Yeah, that, that was my foundation. You know, my good, educational good. foundation was Maryvale High School. So, uh-huh. you know, that's uh, pretty it's, good. It's for, strong work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was uh, after Maryvale. My dad, he was you know getting GI Bill, so he said, you know, you know, you have to go to school because if you go to school, I get a check. So I was always going to school, but I didn't know what, to, what I was going to school for. So they were sending me to school for banking and all this other garbage. And then one day on the way home, I said, I'm going to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force. And uh, my dad's a career Navy guy. So when I got home and I said, hey, I'm, I'm joining the Air Force, he goes, no son of mine is joining the Air Force. I'm taking to the Navy recruiter. So he took me to the Navy recruiter and maybe. I don't the think Navy. those were the only words he used. No, those weren't, but, you know. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. You me? So the only thing that's worse than the Navy is the Air Force. How can't you do that? <laughs> but, the, but the reason I did it was because I get seasick, and I knew it. So oh. I go to the recruiter, and he goes, well, why are you here? He goes, well, must, you know, that guy over there sitting in the corner, maybe, you know, I'm <laughs> here guy. at gunpoint. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so yeah. so he, uh, the guy goes, well, what do you want to do? I go, well, what's the smoothest riding ship? I mean, he goes, submarines. and Suckered so, you right into that. And I yeah. go, well, that's, if it's smooth, I go, you know, how does it ride? He goes, like an airplane. He said, well, I don't get air sick, so sign me up. That's what I want to do. So. But he failed to mention that you're locked in the thing for six months at a time. <laughs> but that has set me up for success during this COVID thing. I <laughs> yeah. can stay in a closet for months on end. With, We've heard that you're living, no you're, you're, uh, you're still living in the, uh, whatever it is, the trailer or the fifth wheel or whatever. I call my submarine on the street. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, like it. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, so I went to Mary, I went to uh, the Navy and I um, started uh, learning about electronics and inertial navigation systems and those kinds of things. And so you had to like take an aptitude test before they let you even think about going to the submarines, right? It's called the ASVAB. You took the ASVAB, right? Yeah, I took it. And uh, there were some things in my past that um, when I mentioned those things in my past and they go, are you sure you did that? And they, they asked me like three or four times. Are you sure you did that? They shake their <laughs> yeah, head they're no. shaking their head no, and I'm shaking my head yes. And Sounds very so that similar to my me, recruitment. <laughs> yeah, that ruled me out of some things, and but uh, it drove me down a lane that was uh, actually you know made me successful. So, um, yeah, and then once I got out of the Navy. Um, well, no, no, let's talk about what you did in the Navy. We're not we're not oh, okay. classing over bit, what yeah. you did. Well, okay. How long was it the career for? Were you? Did you graduate from college before you went in? No. So you're an enlisted guy. Enlisted guy okay. went in the Navy. Went to school the first two years, and so my my field was um, digital computers for um, that supported uh, the fire control system for a ballistic missile submarine. Okay, so precise navigation. So stuff. what? Ta- so talk about computer systems in this time frame. Oh, I'm sure they're all so. Green we're talking screen. about like <laughs> like mainframe type computers. If you've ever heard like of a Sperry Univac, you mm-hmm. know that I mean that Sperry was big back then. And they actually made business-type computers. Well, these were hardened business-type computers that were made for life aboard the submarine, you know, with 
you know, EMP protection and all this other kind of stuff on there. But those computers were adapted for military use. And were so they like as big as this room? Or? They're the size of, like, just the computer was the size of refrigerator. And then there were other components like the, the magnetic tape. You know, I don't know if you've seen yeah, they're like all the tape old reels, right? the old tape reels yeah. and stuff. And we had, we had computers that were, uh, if you know the different, this goes to the geek stuff, the serial sure. computers and parallel computers. Yeah. We had serial computers that you loaded the program with paper tape. Okay. And so you had this low, this kind of stack of tape and you load it up and it had holes punched in it, kind yeah, of like the like old punch, punch cards. Cards, yeah. cards yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you load the thing up with uh, with the program that way. I see all my professors in old times like, you guys never had to stand in line for a punch card? I'm like, no, man. Just hit fucking compile right there. It's <laughs> 30, 30 seconds. Oh, there's my errors. I'll fix that stuff. But uh, That was early, late late 70s, early 80s? No, this is the this is like the early, early to mid 80s. Okay. So with big stuff. How long was that school? Uh, the I mean, I didn't hit this fleet till like it was almost two years. Oh, that school was two years long. Wow. Yeah, and and then they all you know they have a hammer on you too because you know like you said you know I went to Maryville and I I ditched I mean I think at one point I ditched like thirty days. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there you couldn't get away with that kind of stuff, you know. And then it's like, hey, you fail and you're haze gray and underway and you're chipping paint on the deck, you for know. Sure. So I think in Maryville you get an award for 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 only missing thirty days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they actually give attendance awards out like you missed under thirty days. Your, there was a vocational school that was in downtown Phoenix and it was a commercial art school. And they had like commercial art and they had like auto upholstery. So I went down there. And I was actually able to make a stamp of the signature of the guy that ran our like attendance office. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, just stamping my own stuff. So you know, nice work. Yeah, yeah, criminal. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's foundations for it all, yeah. right there. Yes. Outsmart mm-hmm. Yes. So two years yeah. at that school. How many people were like in your like in the school? Couldn't have been too many. Uh, right? No, it was pretty small. I mean, so you know, the first thing you do is you go to sub school, and that's just to see if you can actually handle that environment. And then you go to the technical schools. Okay. So the technical schools, each class probably had about oh, 15 or so in there. How many Asians? Uh, there oh, are quite course. a few. <laughs> 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 question, see? More than half? No, it wasn't more than half. Okay. <laughs> I'm still in the minority. All right. You know? <laughs> yeah. The greater minority. But, I mean, it was like, you know, it was like pretty intense for, you know, like as far as, you know, learning electronics and physics and theory and yeah. those kinds of things because, I mean, it was – Eight hours a day, and then you had mandatory night study, and that usually ended about ten o'clock at night. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, you had to stand watches and those kinds of things. So that went on for a couple of years. Sounds like college, except the watches are the bar, and you're drinking, and then you get up and go. Yeah, do it again. We still found time to do some of that stuff. Good, so. good, good. Got to decompress. Yeah, yeah. So board. So on the sub, you were doing. Uh, um, basically navigation systems that help the, 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 the overall mission of that sub. Yeah, so we'll say this right up front. The, the submarine was a ballistic missile submarine. It had the capability of carrying nuclear missiles. And I notice I say capability, so that's, yeah. Yeah. that's the official language. So, um, But the missile, the, the missile system relies on that navigation system and precise navigation to be able to determine where the origination point is for shooting that missile off. Because if you think about an arc second off initially and you shoot, you know, say 5,000 miles downrange, that becomes a significant amount and you may miss the city you're trying to hit yeah. and hit something else. It's not horseshoes and hand grenades. No, yeah. no. Yeah. So it's a required pretty pre- precise work 
Um, so you guys are on the ship. You guys are basically under lock and key. And, uh, you know, very, very few people know and understand what it was aboard ship and then and then outside in the real world, what, what you guys actually did in that part of the part of the. Yeah, boat. I mean, you know, that's been, you know, they've had those types of, you know, boats out there under patrol since the 60s. And they're they've been out there. They're out there all the time. Pretty small fraternity. Yeah, it is very small. And no speaking to your family. There's no communications at that time. We we're out there. Yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. You know, my uh, I was telling my daughter-in-law that uh, my wife, before we go out to sea, she'd get eight sheets of paper, and it would have forty blocks in it, and she could put one word in each block and send one of those a week. Oh, jeez. And that's one-way communication. So, yeah, I, you couldn't I couldn't respond. communicate back, but she yeah. could, you know, send something out. And then when they, she would send it in, as they would censor it. So, like if she said. You know, you know, Fluffy died, and they didn't know who Fluffy was. You know, they wouldn't send they, you wouldn't get that message. Yeah, because Fluffy might be code for somebody else. Yeah, or something exactly. Else. Yeah, and then you may wig out, and then they have to take care of you down there. You know, so. <laughs> like no, we don't want to do that right yeah, now. Yeah. But the uh, the systems, like you know, we had to once you went underwater, you don't have the luxury of having. Like, there was no GPS back then. You can't you know use external fixed sources, so you have to be able to track how far you've moved from your origination point so you're using a lot of inertial navigation systems you know Man. systems that kind of thing yeah so, geek talk geek talk well just just navigating that way is is cumbersome and slow right it's not very fast to be able to to, to determine where you're at well the systems that are there they're they had the capabilities that yeah. you could that <laughs> they were they had the uh you knew where we knew where we were at. Okay, quickly though. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, we knew where we were at. Moments notice. So you had some pretty serious technology going on. You had pretty serious mission going on, but I also know a little bit about the knuckleheads that you worked with. Um, uh, can you kind of describe that a little bit? Because yeah, you got a hot racket, right? Not all. We didn't have always have to hot racket. My really? first patrol out. My first patrol out. I remember the. the so it was when you go out and you're. Brand new on the boat is you're a non-qual. You you uh, you have no social status. You're a booter. You you're worthless. Yeah, I say you're probably worse than a <laughs> yeah. booter. You are worthless. Yeah. You're breathing their air, taking up their space, that kind of thing. They can actually be mean. <laughs> yeah. So until you get with you, you know, you see them wearing the, their uh, pens, the, the dolphins. Right. Until you get your dolphins, you aren't worth. You're lower than whale shit. It's pretty much what they tell you. So you're not allowed to partake in any recreational activities such as watching movies and those kinds of things because if they see you there, they're going to kick you out. Right. So for six months. But anyway, my first my first patrol out, we the movie they played, and I was set. I was standing in the back, you know, being respectful of everybody else that are sitting down because I'm a non-qual. It was Grey Lady Down. So they're watching Grey Lady Down. Don't know that one. That's an old Charlton Heston movie where the, okay. the submarine sinks. and you know, oh, you get <laughs> yeah. hey, It's a motivational movie. Like, <laughs> you know, getting, you, getting you ready. Right. But, awesome. uh, but then, you know, one of the things they do when you go out to sea is the captain wants to make sure that the ship is quieted so that when you, if they have to take any evasive maneuvers, that when they do these evasive maneuvers, that things aren't going to roll around and make, you know, transient noises that would be able to be detected. So they do these angles and dangles. They call me 20 degrees up, 20 degrees down. And so I'm in my rack, and all of a sudden, and this has never happened to me before, so I'm all crammed up in the one corner of my rack because we're going on a 20-degree down angle. <laughs> 20 degrees doesn't sound like much, but when you're... On a boat, it is. When you're doing it, yeah, I mean, it's... On a boat, it is. And when you're laying asleep in your bed. Yeah. yeah. So I'm crammed up in my corner, and all of a sudden, 
you have these little, and we call them the skid because it's like just like a tiny, this foam pad that you're sleeping <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. Well, somebody rips about my curtain and says, hey, we're going sledding. I go, what are you talking about? And this guy's standing there. He has no clothes on. He's got his pillow. He goes, come on. And he grabs me, and he climbs up as far as we can in that passage. <laughs> and he gets on his pillow, and you just start, you know, sledding yeah, down <laughs> sledding down the passageways, you know. So, yeah, it's uh, it was a crazy place. Uh, the, the friends that I have there, they're still they're still friends today. Like you said, it's a small fraternity, and you get to know people. I mean, I could go into the head, and I could see somebody's feet sticking out, and a lot of times I could tell you who it was. And I mean, it was that oh yeah that tight. So hmm. yeah, interesting. So Meal, uh, how long did you do that? Meals are good on a sub, though. What's that? Food's good on a sub. Well, if you'd like, like frozen and anything that you can freeze, yeah. yeah but there's no like guys would stand at the milk machine like the first week out and drink all the milk, just bloat themselves because you know after that first week all that stuff is yeah, gone. The bad, milk is right. gone. There's no more fresh salads or anything like right. that. It's all it's either frozen or canned. But they always had like steak and lobster. And yeah, that kind of, say, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff yeah, is yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, uh, chow on subs is, is is known to be better than what the rest of the fleet has. And There's got to be some is, advantage, right? <laughs> yeah, we're just <laughs> stuck in a cone for for six months. And some of that is just because that the galley's so small that the officers are eating the same thing as the enlisted guys. So you yeah, know. I got you. Oh yeah, they're not going to sacrifice. No, <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um. So how long did you do? How long uh, were you assigned to a boat? Six years. So I did that okay. for six. All right. So then. After that, uh, and, and you were kind of all over the eastern seaboard, right? Yeah, I was mostly, uh, the sub was based out of Charleston, and we ran out of Kings Bay, Georgia. So, okay. yeah. yeah, not a lot of people realize Georgia actually has connection to the ocean, but they do. Yeah. Um, so you do that for six years, you get out, and then what? So then I'm jobless. So <laughs> I, uh, I was... I had started, you know, went back to school and got an associate's degree in digital electronics because I soon found out that, you know, when you went to an employer and you said, yeah, I, I can work on a CP890, yuck, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, they're like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that means nothing here. to me. So I went back to school and got some stuff that was a little more mainstream and then uh, started applying for jobs. And so I went, I was going to job fairs before I got out and I, Looked at some power companies, those kinds of things. But I was, I had taken a leave of absence from uh, First Interstate Bank. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember them. Oh, yeah. Now yeah. they're, uh, who's First Interstate Bank now? Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, Fargo yeah. yeah. That's who First Interstate Bank is. So Sperry I, uh, is now Honeywell, too. Yep. Yeah. Because I've worked for Honeywell. But I, uh, I uh, had taken a leave of absence from them. So when I got back, I went back to them and I. It's a long leave of absence. Yeah. Six well, years. That's, <laughs> that's federal law. Sa- I mean, they, so- Soldiers and Sailors Relief Act, right? Yep. Equivalent or better. So I come back and I said, uh, hey, I got all this great training. I got this associate's degree. I said, I really like to work in the computer department. And said, it's really nice to wish, but we're going to put you right back where you came from. Yeah. So I was back at the entry-level job and, you know, had Cody at the time, my son and my gotcha. wife. And so we're, you know, trying to make do. Kind of that tough. ain't cutting it. Yeah. That wasn't cutting it. Yeah. So smoking cigarettes in in the in the offices probably back then, right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy to think about that. But uh so I started looking for work and then I ran across a newspaper ad for the city of Phoenix. And uh and I think I also applied for uh CAP because CAP was just getting started back then. Central Arizona project. That's mm-hmm. the canals, yeah. right? Yep. yep. And so they had like uh 
they had technicians that worked for them that had like the monitoring stations that monitored like water flow and mm-hmm. you know pumping stations, those kinds of things all along the um, distribution network that they have. But I answered the ad to the uh, city of Phoenix and took the test and got on the test and interviewed with the fire department. So and as a technician for the fire department. Hmm. So at that time, what they have technicians for? So at that time, so Phoenix. So this was, is eighty. This is eighty six. Eighty six. Okay. So what year did you get out? Eighty six. Got eighty six. Okay. Then 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 got a job with the fire department mm-hmm. in eighty six. Mm-hmm. First Interstate Bank, FU. <laughs> yeah, gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the the fire department was one of the first fire departments that really had a CATS, a computer aided dispatch system, and it was leading edge at the time. We had station alerting systems where you know the lights would come on the station, and this is thing. These are things that the guys in Phoenix take for granted because um, a lot of places they still have a guy sitting on a poop deck, standing watch, waking the guys up. You yeah, know? That, that's all I've ever known is is oh yeah, tones go off, and get on the truck and go. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, even the tone itself, the heart tone they call it, is that kind of ramping tone. It's just so it doesn't jolt you out of bed with just a. You know, That's a one honk. thing I'm never gonna miss. Like I'm sure you guys are experienced. Like you're at home and there's a sound that is so- like that. Like, oh shit! Yeah, it always it always gets me. I'm like I'm not gonna miss those stupid tones. But so the so the fire department back then they had technicians that maintained that system. Uh, we also back then we worked on the heart monitors themselves. Uh, we worked what on those the- look like. Life pack fives. Yeah, yeah. Were they like 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 were they the size of the table or are they just no, really small? They're like the size of a small briefcase. If you know what a briefcase <laughs> is, yeah. you know? uh-huh. but uh, and those had just those were pretty new because when I first got there, they still had the old cases from like the Johnny Gage and Roy DeSoto. From, emergency uh, 51, emergency days. 51 oh, well, yeah, days before me. Yeah, yeah, these are these big, huge cases and special <laughs> radio that was like the size of a suitcase. What did they do? Like, what did these life packs do? Everything that ours does you, now? Uh, oh no, you you got a you got a strip, a three lead uh, okay, heart three. strip. Okay, uh, and you got uh, and then you it, you could connect it to a radio and you give it to uh, so it was telemetry, so you could actually send the strip to the hospital. <laughs> so same thing we can do now. Yeah, but, but uh, and. And then you could defibrillate, but it was the manual pads. It was literally yeah, you had yeah. to take the pads off and put them on. It's Dial it up the, and hit a yeah, button. Yeah, it's not the ride the light on. Yeah, <laughs> so no pulse, no no blood pressure, nothing. No, no. So it's truly just yeah. uh, just an AD yeah. with with a, yes, a with, manual AD, <laughs> a manual yep. AD with a three lead. Yes, uh, EKG, hundred percent. What the hospitals had back then for EKGs? Oh, they had twelve leads. They had twelve leads. Right? Yeah, yeah, you could do twelve okay. leads. Yeah. So we're quarter of the way there. Yeah, and back then, you know, we, the guys were patch. You know, we had a, a medic radio. The guys were patching over a medic radio, and then they had their fire radio. Oh, because no cell phones. Because yeah. no cell phones back then. Either. So, what was the difference between the medic radio and the fire radio? The medic radio was a what they call UHF radio, ultra high frequency radio, and all it had in there, there were the state ran a statewide. UHF med radio system, and so you know we were part of that system back then. Weren't TVs UHF and VHF? Yeah, that's yeah. affirmative. Yeah. yeah, see, there you go. Yeah, agent guys, we got that. You got it. Sticking with <laughs> got <us>. it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so, so you had a medic so, radio. Oh, hold on, I, I, yeah. I, I'm trying to get some perspective on this. Okay. How big was that radio? That UHF it was like radio? it was the same size as a portable we have today. Okay, so. but they were but they were bigger. And probably, they did they have, were all bigger and probably yeah. heavier. Yeah, like a, like a brick phone. But they didn't. <laughs> they weren't as durable. Um, like if if they got wet, and Chris knows this. Like yeah, you go to a fire, and after the fire, you'd have to go to. We had to get. We got called out 
during every fire because we were going to have to swap radios out. Because okay. if they got wet, they stopped working. They stopped working. Wow. They were not waterproof, and you couldn't dunk them or anything like that, like the ones you have today. So it sounds like radios have been that's sh- that, So that was my first time. job on the fire department. I was the radio runner. So uh, that was my job, is to go to calls and swap out radios. How many radios did they go through every year? Uh, I oh. bet I had, in my inventory, I bet I had 20 or 30 in my in my little van that we would show up uh, on these calls and swap radios out. Yeah, we were always fixing them, and so there was a there's always continuous you know turnover. Wow. Yeah, and so you guys did that, and you worked on the uh, the original MDTs uh, yep. that were in the apparatus. So when we we get CAD, and shortly after CAD, we start getting these mobile data terminals in the trucks that give us dispatch information. Were those the little tiny ones, green screen monitors, yeah. like about yep. this big? Uh-huh. Yep. They're, yep. It was like... probably like a five or six inch screen on them. <laughs> oh, uh, and you know what was funny was I was I was uh, thinking about where we were t- are today, you know, in technology for, you know, my work now. And I thought about where we were back then. And I was trying, I went back to the Phoenix Fire Department, CAD administrator guys, and I was saying, hey, do you guys have any of the old uh, building drawings that you had on those terminals? Because I don't know, you can you know how you can draw with the characters that you have on the yeah, keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. they were done. Is they were like there was an outline of a building, and like an X would be like a standpipe and things like that. <laughs> so there yeah. were some buildings in town, like the Valley Bank building, the you know Bank One building, Chase, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Chase building, yeah. um, the State Capitol, and a few of those buildings had drawings that you know basically First interstate building, right. yeah. tactical yeah. drawings for the building. That and sticks I was to longer than those. that stick. That has to be the Chase building, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, why even look at it? <laughs> so when I so so you did that for a while. So from '86 to what about? Uh, well, at least the time frame I'm talking about is '88 to '89. Um, and in that time, we had we had everything that you're describing, and that's kind of what you guys did at the MDT shop and and in, in fire uh, tech services or fire CAD. Um, but I remember when I started working there, I started in '91. And uh, you guys were working on CAD two, mm-hmm. and that and paid more than First Interstate Bank. Oh yes, how, how much more? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like <laughs> it's not even the same league. It really? Was, it was Double? sad. It was probably triple. Holy cow! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah. Who'd, yeah. Who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, government government's going to pay more than the private sector. Well, and so we were, and it was also cutting edge stuff that the Phoenix Fire Department Sounds was doing. Like so it. you actually <laughs> had to have smart people to be able to pay, uh, or you know, to to attract somebody that actually had some talent. Yeah, yeah. up until that point, they were using um, private contractors to do that work, so they wanted to get it in house. Yeah, because they're so, getting taken to the yeah, <laughs> to the cleaners exactly. well, and shitty service, right? Right. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say too is like those station alerting systems. We were. Nobody built, nobody was marketing that stuff back then. So all that stuff was built in house. Wow. So we were having the boards manufactured. We were stuffing components on the boards and soldering and all that kind of stuff, along with the maintenance and all the things that were going on. So this is all under Bruno, right? I, oh, yeah. 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 I still remember going to stations <clears throat> to wire stations up, like current station one, current station three. What are you wiring? Current station 10. The, the alerting, the, the yeah. light bars. Yeah, they're, they're old school the, light bars. That light were, bars, the speaker the systems. Yeah. They Who got you have, into that? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, some guy, right? right? Sitting right next to you? Mm, well, weird. and I didn't know anything, so here, just... Uh, here, hold this, Fish, crimp, crimp this, yeah. do this. Fish this. Yeah. Get more ice. Give me a <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and then at one point, I'm I got hungry. to actually memorize the order of the colors of the cable. Because what was I? There were 10 wires in the harness. Yep. And yep. so there was a specific order that each one got wired. And there was a some ridiculous mnemonic that you remembered that. Bye. <laughs> It's a mnemonic they learned in the Navy, and we can't say it on the air. So. Yeah, right. We could say anything we here. Could, we <laughs> could say it, but I shouldn't. Maybe they don't use that technology anymore, but maybe they do. Those terms. Yeah. I'll just yeah. go with my gut. Uh, yeah. So uh, um, so uh, at that time, when I when I showed up to work with you and, and, and first got interested in, introduced to you, you had just gotten back from the reserves because you got called up for Desert Storm. And you were doing CB stuff. Oh, because were you 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 your job was designated as 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 that important? They brought you back. No, so when I well remember, I said I got out and I was working for first interstate, was making no money, so I went and I joined the reserves to oh, supplement okay. my income. So yeah, yeah. I was working for the I was doing the reserve thing. Did you make three hundred bucks a month out of the, <laughs> at your reserve. Yeah, time? and so there aren't very many submarines in Arizona, so they <laughs> they attached me to a CB detachment out here. So gotcha. yeah. Yeah, so he just gets back. The fire department is actually so we've had CAD now for a little while. Our initial computer aided dispatch for a little while that it actually is sitting over at the Hall of Flame now, um, and uh, and they're working on the second iteration of it. Uh, the Larry Husmans and the and the um, uh, why am I why am I drawing a blank on his name? Ron. Ron Birch. Ron Birch. They're building the second iteration of CAD and bringing it, making it a little bit more modern. And then some guy has this idea of, you know, there is a way we can connect through GPS the location of all the fire trucks. In oh, the, it wasn't in, GPS at first. In the city. Oh, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever heard of Loran, Long Range yeah, Aid uh, Navigation. Yeah, so yeah. that's the way they were going to go. It's all maritime stuff. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I'm going... So they, they throw this out there and they go, well, unless you want all your fire trucks to show up at Lake Pleasant in the afternoon because of just the, the way that the signals propagate, I said, you don't want to be using Loran. And so then it was, you know, with, with Bruno, you ha- raise your hand and say something, then you own it. So Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's actually satellites in the air that can help us triangulate where our fire apparatus are with the right this measurement tools. This would have been in 90... This was like right ni- 1990. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they 90 had... 90 and 91. 90, 91. Yeah, they had plenty of satellites. Because, no, they didn't. Well, they, when, didn't they I have, would have um, to... Every... with So I... We were taking... Like Chris was saying, you know, we did a lot of fabrication in-house then. Right. So I was buying developer boards right. for GPS uh, receivers. And I was taking those boards and uh, we were connecting to like a ham radio, digital radio system so you could transmit the, the location information. But I would have to get on a website and look up and see when there were going to be enough satellites overhead to get a fix. So you could sync it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I like this. Well, they had Iridium in 1991. Yeah, it was a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, they, they had those sat foams because when I worked for Honeywell, I was an intern there. And, oh, yeah, it was later. I think it was. 96, 97, you're right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And those, and, and that never really went anywhere. <laughs> so. I was excited because my contribution was, hey, drive the van around and we're going to try and keep track of you. How but fast? I mean, <laughs> that was your first question was, how fast can I drive this fucking thing? Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty cool because, I mean, we, uh, we worked with uh, General Motors, had their proving ground out here. And so there weren't a bunch of like mobile, ruggedized computers. So they 
got us in touch with a company that had a ruggedized computer that we could hook this this ham radio thing to that we could transmit the <laughs> complete Frankenstein piece yeah. of equipment. I was and hoping so, you were going to say Ron Burgundy instead of Ron <laughs> Birch, but that, that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> but we, you know, kludged all this stuff together and we drove it around and we did a presentation to senior staff. And back then, uh, fire admin was at 520 West Van Buren. Okay. And then right behind it was a bar that was attached to admin. So it was kind of attached. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. They wow, share yeah. walls. Yeah. that's yeah. Well, And yeah. maybe, maybe a passageway. Yeah. A common entrance. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, turned into payroll, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That turned yeah. into fire payroll, the bar. So yeah. that's why all our payrolls fucked up. <laughs> 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 yeah, literally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we did that. And then, uh, Bruno said, yeah, I like it. We want to keep on moving on that. So, wow. Yeah, so I can remember the very first conversation was was involved with that. Well, so we actually had staff that had time and the capacity to work on that because there were Hmm. there were what six technicians at the MDT shop, I think, Uh, and then there were the 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 true CAD guys, the programmer guys that were over at six twenty at the time, uh, where the that's the alarm room was on the fourth floor of the old uh, of the current PD dispatch or the current PD. uh, administration offices and that's kind of where they did their thing and that's where our cad resided and so those guys were working these guys were working and they had the the leeway and the 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 opportunity to do development stuff they weren't yeah they weren't they weren't running so lean that they were just trying to play catch up and just survive the day gotcha. they were guys like mike could actually look ahead and go Oh no! Here's some really cool stuff. Oh that yeah, because you're do. still a field technician. Because you're still a tech. You're not hired. You're not a firefighter yet. No. Yeah, I'm no. still a tech. Okay. And, yeah. th- and th- there was also an expectation, an organizational expectation that you were going to do that. You're fucking crazy. Expectations on people. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. Don't don't put expectations or accountability on people. <laughs> yeah. It's nonsense. That's why you not get anything done. Yeah. <laughs> So they start doing all this stuff, and I can remember the very first conversations about, well, yeah, we're going to be able to keep track of where all the trucks are. Oh, I bet guys were and, up in arms, and, right? Oh, 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 that, oh, I bet. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, you picture East Lake Park, you know, with, you know, oh, yeah, the first yeah. alarm you know, <laughs> down there. Everybody yeah. playing hoops. They're going to know. And I also remember. Andy, how do we turn it off? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Turn it off, Andy. That was quickly figured out how to either oh, yeah, turn it off or block it. Yeah. Tuna can. Tuna yeah, can. Tuna <laughs> can or salad bowl or whatever. Right on top of it. And, uh, um, uh, but then also, uh, I do recall the very first, w- one of the first conversations where we were openly talking about. Well, we can actually tell how fast fire apparatus are going. Because if you're going to GPS it, you yeah. not only you know location, but you know movement. And with movement, then you know speed. And then at that time, there was agreement, no, no, we're not going to keep yeah. track of speed. Right. That, <laughs> no, no, we can't do that. But I do remember, I mean, I don't know if you remember it, but the very first, the thing that really sold everybody on the value of it was when uh, it was over by Station 9, that woman lit her her child on fire. I do remember that. Yeah. That was Whoa. like the first call where it truly made a difference where there was a, I don't even remember what crew it was, but they were coming back, you know, just going back to quarters and they were available. I don't even know if they, they were, were closer than they were station closer than the station. Right. Gotcha. And they were there within seconds and, you know, take the kid. Yeah. Could get sick. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it, it was a horrible saved, outcome, gotcha. but their response time was unbelievable. You know, just, you know, it wasn't normal. Yeah. You were underpaid, my friend. So. And that job too. 
<laughs> you're underpaid in that job too. Oh yeah, you're, you're basically I can promise you. well because you're basically revolutionary revolutionizing the fire service. Uh, and uh, how many key uh, key stakeholders or like key players were were actually the ones coming up with the ideas and, and putting them into into uh, play? Yeah, it was just us down there. So probably like three, but really, all yeah. you guys, so, like two, so, I, so I can tell you, guys, you this: the, 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 tr- the true measure, I think, that we know now is so we're looking at replacing our cat, or we have been looking at replacing our cat, and so not as a booter. Just yeah, just the things that it does now. There is not one single private vendor that can provide us a system that functions like our CAD does today. Not uh, one single one. Why? Because they're trying to integrate into that old technology or because they can't? They just So what's offered out there is just, you know, a company wants to develop and build a product that is meets the needs of the masses. Mm-hmm. And it, so the, the customization of it is limited. Gotcha. And so it's all that commercial off-the-shelf stuff. So it's just, gotcha. it's just, you know, that's what the mainstream wants. But when you start looking at, you know, the outliers like a Phoenix that dispatches for 20, however many different agencies. 27, yeah. Back then, we were only dispatching for three. I think it was Phoenix, Tempe, Glendale, Peoria. Peoria. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That was the automatic aid system. Even now, with 27 people, like like a big company, like that, that's a limited, that's limited revenue coming from that product. But, so, right? but, so the but we built a system, right? So yeah. there was a Northrop Grumman had the, I guess, the shell, if you will. And then our programmers are what has designed it to to have all the functionality. So, like, we take for granted our resource list on our MCT love for on the thing. fire ground. Yeah, love that. They thing. don't do Nobody that. has that. And they're like, what do you do why with do you that? Do, why do you want that? You know, yeah. it's because, you know. I use it for all kinds of stuff. This was a yeah. system that was built by people that were actually, like, you know, when he talks about Larry Huseman, he was a captain with the Phoenix oh, Fire Department, okay. became a programmer, programmed it because – they understand the utility in that, so they mm-hmm. built it into the system where, you know, a guy that sits in a cubicle isn't going to see the value in that. So right. I think that's where the – that's why the system is as good as it was because they had this – you know, you talk about stakeholders. Is yep. Those were the guys who were actually building the system and putting the features in the system that were value – Valuable. Yeah, the yeah, workers were driving the system. Make sure you have some boots on the ground. Yeah, what yeah. Well, and it sounds like it sounds like they could do it. it. Just sounds like it'd be so expensive for them to try and pull it off. That yeah, and then it's a cost benefit thing for yeah, them. Yeah, for you sure. Know, yeah, you know who's going to use it? And if I'm selling most of my CAD systems to law enforcement, yeah. they're not ever going to use that. So why am I going to integrate that in my right. system? So. And if you want to do this one-off thing, that's fine. But you got to pay five hundred thousand. Yeah, one gozillion dollars. For like, it. nope, yeah. we're not going to do that. Yeah. So that makes it that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So about, a sixteen year old, you probably bang it out on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. So, so about that time, then you're thinking being a firefighter wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, I had a couple guys that were that had been looking out for you know just kind of mentor type guys that were uh, you know leaders and you know you people know Steve Stormont and people were if you don't didn't know Steve Stormont people were scared to death of him so <laughs> for some reason I love that guy, but. What I found is, you know, some of the guys like guys like that is if you're straight up with them, honest with them, you know, meet their deadlines, those kinds of things. Is you know, you get along with them fine. And so he he liked guys that could kick ass, yeah, and like do interesting, good, sharp things, and weren't wishy washy about things. So, you know, he had me do some things for him, and he he goes, uh, "You need to be a firefighter." You know, he goes, "You need to be a firefighter." So he started pushing me that direction, and at the time, Chris was testing about the same time, so. Chris and I started working on, you know, getting on. How old were you? I was uh, 
When I finally got on, I was like 32. How old were you? 21. You're like, I'm going to punch this kid right in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had my 21st birthday working at the MDT shop. I remember it vividly. Just shut up and give me another Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, God, you have known each other a long time then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who got hired first? He uh, got hired as a red shirt first, so he was yeah the class. So basically, I guess the class ahead they made me a red shirt, and then Mike got hired then, and we went into the same class. Oh, that's cool. Of June, June of ninety three. That works out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it worked out. It worked out really well. For but a lot they of counted reasons. my city time, so I even mean, better. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's got yeah, so yeah, much seniority, better, man. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So you, at that time, you had like what? almost seven years. Yeah. Yeah. That's genius. Did they count that towards your pension too? No. Oh, Mike, that's even bigger score. Mike, that's <laughs> no. awesome, man. Good for you. Yeah. So yeah, yeah they missed uh, out on that one. Yeah. So we went into the academy in June of '93, and uh, um, uh, went through our probationary year. We were in an interesting class because we were right before this high this wave of hiring. Um, what was a pro- it was a proposition, I think it was, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah, called. Yeah, there was. Uh, it was Prop 300 or something like that. Yeah, we like, had the eco-terrorists and all that stuff going on at the time. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and so the, so what it did is it allowed the, the, the allowed the fire department to grow, and we were going to hire two or 300 people right after us. So we, like, beat that wave. So the neat thing was is we, we, have, super instant, senior. we have instant seniority. Yeah, super which senior. I've been of, on for a year. How long have you been on? Which was kind of <laughs> cool. And, and then we we get through our ambulance time. There was no there was no two hundred shifts when we did our ambulances. Yeah. That comes after us. So so you, so you guys were the suckers that were stuck on them for six years. No, or so oh, we missed that. that was my uncle. So yeah, yeah so so we yeah. replaced your uncle and Scott Weed. On oh yeah, I remember you telling me. So they had been on Rescue Nine for like six years, and uh, and I, I you know and just getting pounded. We come along. And we're we get such the sweet spot of hiring that they hire so many people right behind us that we are on the ambulance for less than two years. I don't think we did two hundred shifts. I don't think we did either. Don't tell. Yeah. Don't tell. No, them. it's a good thing yeah. nobody listens yeah. to us because people, <laughs> people people are going to want you to finish those up. Oh yeah, we know we know the guys that were ahead of us that were on them for five and six years. Oh yeah, Bob, yeah, Bob Kidder sure told me us. he's like I tried everything in my power to break those freaking vans so I could jump them across medians. We were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. He's yeah. like because Bob Kidder was another one that was stuck yeah. on there. One of the <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah. So we we did that and then. We ended up going to well. We were Ambo partners when we got out of, after we got off probation, and then uh, Mike decided he wanted to take the paramedic test, and I really didn't want to take the paramedic test, but I ended up taking the paramedic test, and we ended up in paramedic class together. Then we worked on ALS rescues together. Yes, we're dumb and dumber. That's and awesome. then we worked yeah. on. Then we were temporarily signed Engine Forty Four together. Yeah, we've uh, we've been around. Yeah, that was a great thing. They. They put Rescue 30 back in service as an ALS unit, and they put two brand new medics. Yeah. Ink isn't dry yet on there together. Yeah, because you know? yeah. because what what senior medic wants can to go do that? Yeah, right. can go wrong yeah. there. And we got to do so much stuff. <laughs> oh, sure. We had no supervision. Are we doing this right right now? <laughs> I don't know. Just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty fantastic. Let's do this harder. I don't know. We're, we're fucking. So we I still remember. Calls. I still remember the uh, adenosine patient that we had. Oh yeah. We had this guy, and he had this elevated heart rate. So it's like God. 
think he's an SVT. And so we looked at each other. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Let's get him. And we had canceled the engine. So we're literally sitting yeah. there. You're like, yourself. You're like I can't call him back now. Mm-hmm. They're going to nope. be mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not going to offer us yeah, anything. It's a BLS. BLS engine. Oh, yeah. They're going to go, oh, you yeah. idiots. <laughs> right. So, yeah. What are you Yeah. What are you calling us for? Yeah. What, are you, what are we going to do yeah. for you? But anyway, we, we give him this medicine that stops his heart, the adenosine. Yeah. And so, I mean, this guy, I mean, you look at it. It stops at it and, re- st- and, and then you restart. Yeah, let's yeah. reset. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Well, his eyes get big as saucers, you know. It's like, oh. And the heart rate goes back up. And he, the guy goes, oh, don't do that again. And so, oh, we have to. We're going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're going to take you one more time. We're going to double down on this, yeah. sir. So we go to the hospital after that. I said, Doc, you know what happened? It's, well, he had a flu and he's dehydrated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, we're the yeah, smartest medics around. Yeah, yeah. We're awesome. Yeah. I guess uh, we missed that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> class. Oh, he's just dehydrated. Huh? Did, you, did you guys stand him up, take, 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 take a blood pressure or a pulse? Uh, no, no, Ah, fuck that. None we're medics. We're the BLS guys weren't there to tell you. We, no. had, we hadn't used that drug yet. We were going to use it. <laughs> yeah. like, what's, what, is this, this, what does this one do? Uh, Look this up. So about this time, and supposed careers, to be wiser. <laughs> yeah. No, no, definitely not. Neither one of us. We, we'll just we'll put it this way: we got in trouble once because we took and we were flying the Jolly Roger on our on our. Yeah, we were uh, flying the, the pirate flag. Pirate on flag, our flag skull and crossbones. Yeah. So I got. I, got um, I think Bob Taylor yelled at us. I got chastised and uh, berated up and down by a chief that I loved to death that, that uh, retired, and because someone put bullhorns on our rescue. Outstanding. And they just assumed it was us or like me and, and yeah. like my partner, and we didn't do it. So I let him come down and chew our ass. And uh, like twenty or fifteen years later, I saw him, and he's he's actually one of the one of my more favorite chiefs I talked to. He's like, he goes, you know what? I've been meaning to catch up with you on something. I go, oh what? And he's like. Those bullhorns? That wasn't you. I go, no, it wasn't me. He's like, why did you let me sit there and chew your ass? I'm like, does it? I was like, does it really fucking matter? I'm like, just an ass chew. I'm like, you're done and you're happy, and then and then I didn't have to rat out on, you know, rat no, somebody we're not else. Telling. Yeah, I'm not telling, I'm telling yeah. somebody else. He's like, I can't believe you took that rap. I'm like, it's just an ass chewing. That's all it was. Yeah, we we got to do some, in, you know. Demonstrate some ingenuity and stuff that we did with the ambulances. We we bent the shit out of the back bumper one day. I bent it. I backed into a sign uh, at our favorite bagel place that we would go to in the mornings, and uh, had to go back to the station and uh, hammer it out with a sledge. Well, no, we took we took the bumper off. Good, good. And uh, we started by running it over to flatten it out with the engine. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then, and then we got the extrication tools off the, off the ladder and we were able to actually use the spreader to get it all back. Got all nice. Fairly nice. I am certain that the sea shift didn't notice. I'm saying it did not look fairly nice <laughs> at all. I'm saying it, it, probably, it, it probably looked as bad. Were they Chrome? No, no. Oh, no, yeah, no. you fuckers were lucky then. So we had the very first box ambulance yeah. on, the, on the Phoenix Fire Department. We, uh, well, who made it? Nine. It was the Ford, uh, the Ford pickup front. Okay. The yeah, box yeah. Some, guy, some guy in a garage in Arkansas made it, and I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> we only had like three or four of them, and they, they were hunks of shit. And, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, they never bought those ever again. Uh, yeah. So, um, so interestingly enough, kind of t- timeline uh, – this was about the time that the federal government was starting to make some some uh, changes to the communication systems and the bandwidths and everything that were where public safety worked, and they wanted to push us onto a trunked 
radio system. So a trunk meaning a, a system that's basically computer controlled and it, you have to have receive and transmit sites all over the city so that it can take these take these transmissions, process them, and then spit them back out to wherever, wherever it is you're working or wherever the computer's identifying uh, that they're coming from. And, um, and uh, Mike here figured out that, that just how big of a problem that was going to be for us on the fire ground. And, uh, and then we, and then as a booter, no, this is, this is a little bit later. So okay. off yeah. the ambos, still a firefighter, but okay. off right. the ambos too. Yeah. We're off the okay. ambos in. So there's this, so they put this labor management group together. Uh, and I still remember the co-chairs, the co-chairs were Derek Johnson and, um, uh, Harry Beck Jr. Uh, he was the chief. Derek Johnson was the, was the labor co-chair. And they had one of their first meetings about this transition over to a 800 system. And for whatever reason, Mike was going to be out of town. I don't even remember why. I don't, you, you were doing something. You go, hey, can you go to this meeting? Because I can think of about 100,000 other things better to <laughs> yeah. do besides go to that meeting. Well, and he <laughs> goes, hey, can you go to this funny. meeting and represent this stuff? Because I've got, I've got serious issues with this. Yeah. Because I don't think this is going to be safe for us. Very important, For a bunch obviously. of other stuff. And I'm like... Sure. Yeah, I can go do that. I I know just enough to say to sound like I know something, yeah. but I actually don't know shit. How much shit did you goad him into doing? Because you knew he would just do it. See, there's so the much that I don't even remember this one. <laughs> yeah, he can't. He can't even actually keep track of this. So I, I actually don't even remember this. Give one. it to Chris. Uh, He'll present it. I go into this meeting and they they talk and they do their thing and I go, uh, hey, can I bring something up? And you had given me two or three pieces of paper, and I'm like, hey, so I think. We're going to have a problem with this, and this is why, and these are the things, and I just remember them looking at me with, number one, who are you? That was the first question. Yeah. And why are you talking, and what are you even talking about? Don't I think, you understand how these meetings go? I think you are completely <laughs> yeah. full of shit. We invite everyone here in, <laughs> to give input, and then we just make our own decision. Right. You royally fucked that <laughs> one up. So, so I go back to Mike. I'm like, Hey, I really don't think they believed me. <laughs> and I go, I think I said it right. I'm not sure, but I think I did. I don't think they believed me. And th- then then that began this big conversation about whether we should or we shouldn't do this. I think I lost them when I told them it produced 1.21 gigawatts <laughs> of power. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's when they thought I was full of shit. <laughs> yeah. So so you remember uh, the beginning of this, I'm certain. Yeah, so that was back, and again, that goes back to Steve Stormont, you know, the, mm-hmm. the chief, the, the assistant chief back then, and so he was, uh, he was head of safety, and so he goes, "You're going to be my safety representative on this," because I explained to him what was going on after Chris fucked it up. They said, "Can you come yeah, clear yeah, this yeah. up for I'm us?" I'm pretty sure I laid <laughs> the groundwork, <laughs> but after uh, after I explained it to him, he goes, "Well, that's a safety issue, so you're going to be my representative from safety on this committee." And uh, he goes, I want you to throw as many grenades as you want just to go. Yeah. yeah. Steve wasn't afraid to disrupt things. Yeah. <laughs> just stop sending ballistic missiles across the table. Yeah. To everybody. So, so the issue was is that you know up until this point is we had been operating on our VHF radio system, the system that you're operating on today, where the radios talk directly to each other, and they were going to change it to where we went to this newer radio system, which was supposed to be better. And more efficient. More efficient. The tower's going to sit up at South Mountain. But it, and it was and it, it was more efficient for the city because the city would have to maintain less radio systems. It would be one combined radio system for everybody. And again, it goes to that mainstream thing. Yeah. What's good for the mainstream doesn't help. You know, yeah. these specialty. You know, especially like a fire department has some sp- specific requirements for operational communications on the right. fire ground. 
So when you say, we know how special we are. Yes. <laughs> Just ask us. Yeah. Yeah. You wear helmets to work. And a mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, so it's, it was a change. It was a shift in the way we we're going to be doing things. So we are going to be not talking directly to each other. Now we'd be talking to from the, the radio on the fire ground to some tower or some site somewhere and then back. So, so if you lose communications with that site or that site goes down, now we can't even talk to someone <laughs> yeah. on the end of a no, hose line. No, everything's down. Right, exactly. <laughs> Truly, string and can is will will uh, come back into effect then. And, and and the other part of this too was at the time that the government was uh, wanting to use to make the spectrum more efficient, and so now they were using things like digital digital radios. Mm-hmm. And uh, when that happened too, is the way that your voice is interpreted by the radio. The radios weren't able to interpret intelligible communications between like that and say a vibro alert that's going off in your face piece. Yeah. Talking through your SCBA yeah, mask. It was- so it just came out the other end as garbage. Gotcha. It's all noise. So that was another issue with it. So all this was happening at the same time. So no, no one at times like, Hey, there's no redundancy in this system. It's going to be awesome. Like, don't worry about it. Like no one's like, Hey, that's a single point of failure. If that fucking tower goes down, like no, no all these smart people aren't just, well, when you don't know, you don't no, know. Well, right. No. Well, I, to me, that's, that, that makes, that's logic. Hold on. I have a tower over here. Are you asking about firefighters not understanding or technology people? Not Everybody like, Hey, yeah. like this, this is a single point of failure. If, 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 if Joe Bob runs his truck into the thing, we have no communications throughout the whole, uh, square miles of the city. No one's like, Hey dude, this is a bad idea, bro. Let's not do this. Yeah. I think yeah. And at the time too, <laughs> you have to look at the way the other departments in the city, we were very well off because, as we had more and more cities join the automatic aid system, so you know we're probably up in the twenties now. Is when a city would jump on, is it would also contribute their radio frequencies that they had. So we had lots of radio frequencies. Where the police department, as they had grown, and their the amount of traffic, their you know the radio traffic they had was increasing, you know, huge by huge amounts. Right. As their system was breaking down and falling apart because they only still only had the original frequencies that they were allocated because oh. they weren't taking in automatic aid partners like gotcha. we were. So we were able to build in redundancy in our system because we were getting these new partners on board and integrating them into our system and our yeah. operational plans where these other like other department city departments weren't able to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the so, city was in a hard spot. Right. And so and and really one of the things I've come to learn is firefighters don't know what the the technologists know and the technologists don't know what the firefighters know. Hence the business analysts. Yeah, and there's so there's <laughs> always that disconnect of of uh and that's what made Mike so you know, he's the unicorn because he actually knows both sides. He's of it. the business analyst. He can talk to the dorks well, and, and he can talk to the to the to the knuckleheads. And that's kind of way it kind of panned out was that they didn't yeah. understand how we operated and the reasons why we were asking for capabilities that they weren't able to provide. So I came up with this idea where we would go and we would prove it to them and we would deploy people in buildings like we would on say a first alarm fire in a high rise. I'm going to show you how dumb you are. Ready? Let's and go. This, this was great for the guys who were retiring because it was a it was, it was a cash it cow. Was, it was a cash cow. It was all in overtime. So oh, yeah. we would position people in buildings, logically position them, just like you would position them in you know mm-hmm. second floor, third floor. Yep, exactly. Whatever you know this. You're the resource floor. You know yep. you're the, you're the 
you know, stairwell, you're mm-hmm. the evacuation stairwell, you're in the, the fire control room, those kinds of things. Yep. And then we would have them do, um, we would test the communication pass that you would be using on the fire ground. Kind of almost having like scripts, fire ground scripts, so they, they could measure the connection points for all these critical functions inside like the building. The drummer from Def Leppard has one arm? Yeah, no. just like that, okay. just like yeah. that, yeah. All right, cool. Uh-huh. But we, uh, we had them go through, and we did, we did the testing, we did it on all the frequencies, and we did it analog and digital. And then, then they came out and said, well, what is a firefighter? Now, why are we even listening to this guy? So then we had to hire a consultant that had the engineering stamp that you know, <laughs> so had to come out and say his stuff was right. <laughs> would validate You're the like, stuff here, come sit on my lap so I can be your <laughs> ventriloquist. I'm going to tell you what to say and then just repeat it. <laughs> but the guy, the guy that we got was like, he, the, the company that we got was really awesome. I mean, they, uh, they saw what was going on immediately, and they were very, uh, how do you say it? Um, they let you do. They knew how want. to negotiate. They knew how to negotiate with the city to get what we needed. They they understood where we were coming from, so they helped us document exactly what we did. And it became you know there's, you know, if you search it on the internet, there's a paper on the internet you can find it. And you know other other departments have used it as a kind of the foundation for the way they're going to communicate in the future as well. So they're able to take a methodology and apply what yeah. you guys were working through and just meld that still together. being used today yeah, for something. And, and what it ended up coming down to is that you know. Use the right tool for the right job. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So the trunk system is great for wide area communications where we aren't in the hazard zone, and it allows us to maintain that direct communications between each other. Had to explain to them like you know the order of help. You know, like your first order of help is the, actually the crews around you. So if you call a mayday, the guys that are you know, yeah, the firefighters around your you, crew, yeah. and your then crew, the other crews and around the other crews around you. The first ones are going to affect rescue on you. Yep, and. So it's not important to talk to everybody in the whole city. It's more important to talk to these people that are, you know, yeah. close. So you said a trunk system. Can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah. So a trunk system is, um, if you think of, uh, I don't know if you remember the old days, like going between between cities, they would have like trunked lines. So that you know, there's a there's a estimated amount of traffic that they're going to go between, say, major metropolitan areas. Okay. And so, like when you call Mother's Day, you notice that you. You uh, you may get a you know fast. I don't know if you remember the fast busy signal or if you're trying to put in an SBA PPP loan and it overwhelms the website. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. imagine okay. it's yeah. so there's an estimated amount of traffic that they build these systems for, yeah. and it, you share the resources in the system. Well, when you when you go outside of that, now those resources aren't there, and you get if you're on the trunk radio system, you get bonked. Yep. You ran out of bandwidth. You ran out of bandwidth. 404 message coming right back to you. And the other piece of this, too, is like when a trunked radio system is what we call, what I consider is an infrastructure dependent system. So you have to talk to the infrastructure before you can talk to anybody else. Okay. Where uh, the simplex VHF system that you operate on is you're talking direct, you know, it's one to many. So you're talking directly to everybody around you. Gotcha. So that's the difference. Okay. So I remember very specifically early in these conversations because they're, you know, they're describing this new trunked radio system as high speed, high power, you know, really, really slick. And Mike is saying, okay, we can go on to that, but we'll do, we'll run our EMS calls. We'll run what we do today, non-hazard zone, so to speak, type of incidents on it. But we really, really need to keep our, the simplex infrastructure to run our fire calls on right. and medic radio the system we have non medic radio exactly yeah. so there were people that were right saying back we, can't, we can't have two radios well we've done it before you know just in a different right. yeah. different way right well so and then and then Bruno's comment was uh, so you want to uh, you want to put tractor parts on my Lamborghini. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of what we're going to do. Yeah, because yeah, your sure. tractor runs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every and day. And all day. Gonna every run, day. Yeah. Put it in gear and let it go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it goes. It's gonna go. Yeah. It uh-huh. goes. I got to do is turn that key. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when we when we rolled that out, that was kind of a, you know, kind of a change for, you know, just change for us as the fire department was, you know, having two radios and understanding, kind of understanding which tools use for it, for, you know, what purpose. But now today, I mean, when you look at the radios you have today, everything's integrated in that one radio. And guys, a lot of firefighters probably don't even realize that they're talking on trunk versus non-trunked or VHF versus no clue. whatever. It's K-deck know. or A-deck. Yeah. Yeah, they don't know. Yep. So. No, they have, they have no and, idea. And that's okay. No, yeah, uh, they don't need to know, right? But Well, they don't need to know, but I do think it's important for them to understand that there's actually a ton of thought and there's a ton of um, blood, sweat, and tears that actually went into maintaining the integrity of our fire ground communication system here in the city of Phoenix and in the region so that we were safer on the fire ground. Nobody, the Phoenix fire department didn't at the time did not let us do something that was dumb and more dangerous. Well, it sounds like if, if right guy, right time, right place, if Mike wasn't there, and he wasn't on vacation. You didn't fuck up your speech on that labor management thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was the right. He was the yeah, right guy. Right. Yeah. So what? So think about this. If you if you uh, uh, compare us to the FDNY, so nine eleven happens. The FDNY had made a transition to an entirely trunked system. Okay. And they have infrastructure problems. Two gigantic buildings, towers come down, the, and it and it hugely interrupts their communication system as well as having this giant surge of the need to communicate on the radio system and they lose virtually their whole radio system. Yeah, so because the trunk system, because I think some people are are probably still wondering what what the hell that is. It's basically a four-lane highway when you're running out of those four lanes and you're you're, going to try and put a bunch more traffic on there it bogs down the system and, and no one gets through it and does right. And the computer controls happen. who gets through it. And, and it's a doesn't. roulette wheel on what lane you're in too. Because yeah. every time you key up, you may be using a di- whatever lane is open at the time. Yep. And, and I want to retract my statement about it. It doesn't really matter for a firefighter to know what they're on. It, they do need to know that because when you're in trouble is you should understand the technology that you're using because you, you need to understand, you know, what the limitations are or, right. and just some of just how the, it's laid out because one of the things I did before I left is always, Chris was down at the Academy and started talking to firefighter recruits. And one of the things we were talking about was the VHF radio system. And it was like, you know, do you think the alarm room can hear every transmission that you say? And they go, well, yeah, they can, they can hear, hear us. And they can't, it depends on what channel you're on and what, what part of town you're in, because those channels are laid out, laid out to cover specific geographic areas. So if, say, you're on Channel 6, it may only cover, say, the southwest portion of town. So we have K1 through K15, that's, right? That's all trunk that's stuff. Trunk. So that okay. you can talk so that, valley-wide. Okay, all But the when time. you go on the ADEC stuff, which mm-hmm. is VHF, yep. then Fire it matters. Hazard zone. So, so, so let's define that because a lot of Phoenix people and the whatever 29 other cities that we dispatch for define ADEC, KDEC, and the difference. I know we just talked about it, but define it so we can – have a very very solid foundation of this is why you talk on A, this is why you talk on K. So when we t- when we talk about A deck, that's your VHF system. That's the fire ground. Um, that's the fire ground VHF system, simplex stuff. And the way that the alarm room hears you is that there are, are receiver sites that are placed all over town. So channels one, two, and three are valley wide, but channels the other channels are based on uh, 
geographic area, specific geographic areas. Okay. And those are the tactile channels that are assigned. When you go to a fire ground channel, eight when five, you when you get six, when you get seven. assigned to a fire, you notice that you're going to be on either you're probably going to be on the same channel most of the time. Yep. Unless it's the backup channel, and each channel has one backup. Okay. If you go to an, if you try to use that that channel, say you're assigned in where you work at Awatuki, you said yeah. Working, what's working your there, what's your tactile channel down there? Eight four. Yeah. Tr- Four. Yeah. So, and if you go, try to use A11. Yeah. If you go, yeah, it won't work. work. Gotcha. Because that's Scottsdale. Gotcha. And the reason I say that it's important for you to know that is if you get in a jam and you're laying on the ground, you're in a mayday situation, and you bump your knob and you get off frequency, off you know, off channel, is you need to know that you need to get back on either your assigned channel with that backup channel. Are we A8? I've only been there for six or seven ships. It might be A8. If it's probably, not four. It's not four because yeah, four, four is a yeah. mutual aid. It, yeah, that's our, it's it probably because be. all the fires you go to it, uh, in Ahwatukee that... Uh, hey, we were on three yesterday. <laughs> golf course, go, golf course <laughs> fires. I called... <laughs> we are on three golf course <laughs> fires that I stomped one of them out with my boots. When I was, <laughs> so, at, South know, Deputy, when I was at South Deputy, I called down to 46 one day. And I said, hey, uh, I called the 46. And someone asked goes... Firefighting forty six. I go. Oh, I got the wrong number. <laughs> Those guys actually uh, have have nicknamed that station uh, the Velvet Hammer. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I'm like it's perfect. They're they're uh, totally embracing it. But anyway, you know, it's important for you know someone out in the field to understand the technology that they're using because they need to know what the limitations are. And they need to know what to do in case they get in a jam. So, and you said something that we should repeat. So, if if you are dispatched to a fire, whatever critical incident, where hazard zone, hazard zone, yeah, hazard zone incident that you have to be on the A deck for, and you get in trouble, <clears throat> and you're not on the correct channel. If you're supposed to be on A five, and you're and you're transmitting a mayday on A seven. You will not be heard, and you need to know that. So you need to check before you call that mayday that you are on the right tactical channel. That's a that's a big thing. Yeah, either that, and the other thing that we used to do in the radios, and you can't do that today just because we have so many channels. Is that uh, we used to have, you could uh, turn the channel knob to the stop, so either one or sixteen, and yep. it would always be channel one because channel one was a valley wide channel. So if you went to one, worst case, you went to one. And you call your mayday on one. Somebody will hear you. Somebody will hear you. Still today. Still today. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Good to know that. And the other, and you know, the other thing about just the radios, the devices themselves. I mean, when you're getting a jam, you're laying down on the ground, you're, you're transmitting. Don't just transmit there, and you know nobody's answering. You change something. You know, it might be the orientation of your antenna. It might be taking your speaker mic off. It might be all those things that you know change something in the way you're doing it. To give you the best chance of communicating, because someone's listening and they're not hearing you. So, well, so so, the, so the, here's the here's part of the limitation of our communication devices. So, these portable radios that we are using are meant to be used in good atmosphere, uh, not in 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 inside buildings. They are meant to be oriented so that the antenna is up in 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 a good transmit in a good receive position. And basically, that's all the exact, or it, uh, those positions are the exact opposite of what we find ourselves regularly on the fire. Well, and there's more limitations, right? Well, there's a heat limitation on them, correct? Yeah, yeah totally. What's, so there's the orient. So, well, so there's the orientation and the transmit and receive ability from the antenna 
all that. And then you have the internal specifications of it. Now, our radios are are intrinsically safe, and they are reasonably waterproof now, or water-resistant. <laughs> uh, define reasonably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to be able to submerge them, but I, I still, as much as they get used, I, I doubt that that's completely intact. Okay. Um, and so then water resistant. they are uh, uh, what they call military spec for heat and dust and, and, and water and all that other stuff. So and not what's over... The, what's, yeah, so what's the range on that, Mike? So like mil, they're built to what they call mil, mil standard 810. And so the I think the high heat on those... And you think about mil standards aren't fire standards. Right. They're military standards. Yeah, for sure. So their high heat is probably, you know, being out in the desert of Saudi yeah, Arabia. 50, so like, 160. Yeah, it's like 160. Okay. And then, then they have a low, and I don't know what that is. I don't remember what that is, but... There we won't that, see it here in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. But there were some things that came out of that. So um, there's some NFPA work on uh, communication device for use in the hazard zone. Yep. And it's in NFPA standard 1802. And that's supposed to be coming out later. And it's, I think it's next year, this fall of this year, maybe. I think maybe it's fall this year. So, and, and that's supposed to raise it up to match the the environmental specification for the rest of our protected ensemble. So it should be 500 degrees for five minutes. That's big. And the reason that happened was uh, 2011, there was uh, two firefighters that died in San Francisco. And then also the, the firefighters, the fire fire firefighters that were lost at Southwest end fire in Houston, their communication systems failed because the, the really the, the kind of the catalyst to get that NFP standard off the ground was those two firefighters went in and they may have even been one of the ones first ones where there was a documented flow path incident. Too. Right, right, yeah. So when that happened, as they got caught in that flashover, the the microphone cords melted <clears throat> and it shorted their radios out and they weren't able to communicate or affect you know call for a mayday. And okay. melted in the what the open position. Or closed yeah, position. I don't remember like yeah. the, the details of it, but yeah. they melted. And then on the Houston ones, kind of the same thing happened as they had in uh in SCBA face piece communication systems. The mic cord melted on there, and so they were operating on a trunk system. And on a trunk system, if you ever notice like when you're talking on a trunk system, you get the beep beep and that mm. lets you talk. Yep. Well, it only allows one person to talk at a time. Yep. When their cords melted, their cords were intermittently transmitting. That's and what I was thinking about. It wasn't the San Francisco guys. It was the Houston guys. So they're canceling each other out. So it was tying up that tactical channel. The other thing it did was it made the the incident commander think that those guys, those still people were, were still alive and they were transmitting and trying to communicate yeah. key, out. Key the mic if, if right. you can hear me type stuff. So it put it kept them in rescue mode longer than they probably should have been. You know? Gotcha. So, but those were those were key things that really pointed to a need for to have a, a specification or a standard that uh, defined what that firefighting environment was and building equipment that matched the firefighting uh, firefighting environment and also the the ergonomics and everything else that goes along with it. So ADEC radio to radio with and then and then and then um, certain sites. Uh, strategically positioned in the city to rebroadcast that message, so the alarm room picks it up. Which, which well, they actually receive it, and then it goes. It. They just receive it. It receives okay. it, and it goes. Actually, goes to the alarm room over hard wires. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 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 that's how they get on the A deck. Limitations of our current radios are directional li- limitation of, of the antenna when it's in a horizontal position. It does not transmit as well, or it does not transmit whatsoever. It needs to be in a vertical position if if you're going to transmit. Um, 
especially something important, but I guess if you're talking on a tactical channel during a hazard zone incident, it should you should only be giving uh, pertinent information and not just talking on it to, to talk on it. There's a heat limitation on that radio. High heat, you said about 160 and then the low, like we're not worried about. What, what other limitations are on these current radios? Um, I think I think those are the big ones. Okay, those are the big ones. I mean, even like the the high heat thing when uh, was it Engine Fifteen had that deal yeah, two years Engine ago. Yeah, Engine Fifteen. Uh, Chris, I was working down at Tech Service at the time, so Chris called me up and said, "Hey, you, you know, we had this thing go on." I said, "Well, let's pull those radios out and we'll send them off." To, I had some friends that worked at um, the National Institute Nest. of Standards and yep. Technology, mm-hmm. so we took those radios and we sent them off there. And you know, sure enough, you know, when they tested them, they put them in a heat chamber, mm-hmm. test them. And what happens when they go high heat is they'll typically go off frequency. So it's like they're changing channels. Yeah. And so when you go off channel and you try to communicate to somebody that's on the channel they're supposed to be on, you're not effective. So Right. Almost like giving an on-scene report on their own channel. Yeah. 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 So, so one of the other <laughs> limiting or challenging pieces we have is the add-on stuff that we do. So when we do lapel mics or we do other things uh, that you know that we add to the radio, that adds an additional connection point and it adds an additional area that can be exposed to heat and and all the other things that we typically come. Uh, and that's why I don't use with. a lapel mic. Right. Yeah. yeah I exactly. Just, I, I Me won't neither. use it. Yeah, and I've, Cody, you know, Cody's kind of taken, you know, the torch on this one mm-hmm. is teaching, the, you know, a lot of the recruits. But that stuff is part of your, um, you know, your PPE, just like your SCBA mm-hmm. and everything else. Is you need to check that every single day. So when you go in the morning, you should be checking that. And if you're using an SCBA, I mean, a a, a, ra- a portable radio with a speaker mic, you should test that as a system. Don't test them separately. Test it the way you're going to use it. Right. So once you hook it up in the morning, test it the way, test it that way, leave it that way, and then every time you disconnect it and connect it back up, you should be testing again. Yeah. And sense. you should also be testing, you know, the ability to communicate, not just, you know, keying it up or just listening. You should be able to keying up, transmitting. And I suggested, you know, you transmit from the truck to inside the grocery store or something like that. Right. Just to make sure that you that radio to radio. Yeah, that it's working. Yeah. Because if you're just sitting next to each other, if I take if you take the antennas off those radios and you sit next to each other and you key up and transmit, you're going to be able to talk to each other just okay. because you're so close. Yeah, yeah. But you need to have that resistance of the just the air resistance and the Concrete new, and the, the building resistance. <laughs> right. You know, being able to overcome that to make sure your radio is putting out the right amount of power. And, and there is a test procedure you can go through on those radios in the morning, correct? With the alarm room? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You guys want to talk about that procedure? Yeah, absolutely we can. And and uh, the de- so the, I'll just start with this. The downside of it is, is uh, we've got 427 people that show up to work every day in the Phoenix Fire Department. Um, and so to have 427 radio checks every morning is, is a little bit of a challenge for the dispatch center. Right. However, um, uh, is, is when you set up your equipment or whether you change or when you change your equipment or where there's a question about your equipment, the ability to do a, a morning check with the alarm room to make sure that the communication is, is effective and then making sure that the battery is, is, uh, um, is working appropriately because we're, we're 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 dealing with uh, uh, batteries now that uh, um, are they they actually work really well, but when they fail, they fail. Yeah, and there's no half fail; it's all the way <laughs> fail. And, and realistically, you should be ch- taking those batteries because those ra- those batteries when they're in the chargers in the trucks, as you're sitting there, it's like if, if you <laughs> take your them. would you do this with your cell phone? Just take your cell phone and leave it on charge all the time. Yeah, you take it out and you cycle it and those kinds of things. Right. 
you should be doing the same thing with that radio battery. Take that battery off, take it inside the station, swap it out with the battery that's in the station, you know, and put it in the smart chargers that are in the stations. Gotcha. So just just normally every morning just swap them out. Yeah. Right. Just recycle them through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take camera battery gets swapped out every like like every shift for me. So why not swap? Same out with there? the monitors. So again, you know, you're dependent on you know, you getting a jam. What are you dependent on? Yeah. That's so right. yeah, and so I'll make the reminder that you there there are the few things that you absolutely have in order to be able to go to work in the hazard zone. That's full PPE with an S with a full SCBA. That is a radio. And that is being part of the plan, no freelancing. Yeah. So your requirements to go to work, and one of them, those elements of that PPE and uh, is that radio, yep. and it's got to work, and you've got to know that it works as much as your SCBA works, as much as you know that you've got your gloves and your hood. And I know this is a, this is a budget crunch thing for me, but in the military, like my my kid or or or, or my get up um, was very specific to me. Um, like our bottles can't be very specific to us um, because, you know, we share those bottles, stuff like that. Like even, even my dive gear, stuff like that, everything's set up a certain way every time. So I could, I, so I could get to it blindfolded, you know, without, you know, in, in a stressful situation, we don't have that option option um, in Phoenix because you can't highly customize something. Cause you know, the guy comes in next year. He's like, what the fuck? Why is this on here? <laughs> yeah, right. How come this clip's on there? Like whatever. So, so our stuff has to be very, um, generic on like how we kind of run things through it but you know but the radio stuff has to be uh consistent for everybody yeah and that's some some other things that we found on some other incident and this is within phoenix when i was still here is mm-hmm. that people were trying to do that with their gears make it customized you know customized to you know yeah. the way they put it on their harnesses and engine yeah. 28 had a fire with that issue right right they had, yeah. you know uh, athletic tape on the thing and yeah the and they didn't understand their equipment, so the athletic tape covered the microphone port. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> you know, just things like that. Right. And it was actually a made a situation yeah, it was with, a made with, with inability to communicate. So there is a reason why these radios have these 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 limitations. And, and, it's, and it's not a, a, a technical reason or a reason for a lack of technology. What is the reason why these radios aren't as good as we'd like them to be? A lot of it is again, you know, that it goes back to you know building the device that's going to sell the most. Yeah. Capitalism. Companies. Yeah. So un- until the fire department comes out with a standard that says this is what we need and we're not going to buy anything unless it meets a standard. Right. That's that's our that's our leverage. Gotcha. Well, and so, so and then you also have to look at the market shares. So the fire service buying radios small. is yeah, so tiny. stinking small compared the- to law enforcement, compared to industry compared to military mm-hmm. we're we're we are not a big player in that and then when you look at the kind of the uh, the trend in electronics and things is it's to be smaller and so when you be, when you when you build smaller devices there's less thermal resistance the less insulation that kind of mm-hmm. thing so and the less they'll uh, heat the, up faster right and you can't use them functionally with fire gloves on when they get no. smaller yep nope absolutely can't yeah. And that was the purpose, of, like I was saying, the that NFP eighteen oh two, and I got to you know, you know, commend uh, Bob Athanas from FDNY. He's a he's a personal friend of mine. And he you know asked me to be on that committee, and so he's been working on that. He just retired off of Rescue Three. He did like twenty something years on Rescue Three, which is pretty yeah, dog years, pretty phenomenal. Wow. So, 
one of those guys that just has the staying power. Yeah, and yeah. he stayed a firefighter the whole time. And he's a smart guy. He yeah, is. he's really truly can't smart. be that smart. No, yeah. I'm, just no, he <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. He can't be smart in everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but he uh, he was instrumental in getting this this committee this committee going, the standard going. But he's also on the thermal imaging one. With just the, round numbers. How many fire radios do you think are out there? I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you. Hundred thousand. Well, uh, how, how many, many in our system? So we could probably say in the city of Phoenix, there's what two thousand. Yeah, yeah. And and we're the fifth largest department in the. Well, country. we're the fifth largest city, not necessarily the fifth largest department. So I would say that uh, we're in the top ten. Well, no, maybe not even the top ten in size, um, but we're we're in the we're in the upper uh, upper ten to twenty percent of fire departments yeah. uh, size wise. And so think about it. Every firefighter in the FDNY has one, and there's roughly 5,000, 4,000 firefighters on duty every on day. Duty there. day yeah. So there's, there's probably under yeah. there's probably under 100,000 radios yeah. out there. So probably there's a like thousand. somewhere between 50 and 70. Yeah. There's probably 1,000 yeah. on duty every day in Houston. You, yeah. can't, you can't sell uh, 50 to 70,000 radios and think you're going to actually bring, bring a good profit back for that. So yeah. Not in the global market. No, absolutely. And that was yeah. the good thing about being on the NFA committee. So, so this isn't about the dollars. This is about what's right for firefighters. Yeah, so, for sure. And that's what the standard was all about. And what was what was encouraging about that, too, is that that standard's made that committee is made up of um, people from the fire service, people from industry, and then, you know, other government agencies and, you know, other types of people but anyway they they came together and they they agreed that this was the right direction to go so yeah that's the good standards coming out so who do you think is going to produce that radio i think there are, there are several companies that have have it in the pipeline now so gotcha yeah we're already we're, we've already seen um benefit from that committee i mean when you look at the speaker mics that you have mm-hmm. the mic cord on those are rated to 500 degrees the newest okay. ones so hmm. all right so you yeah. got a deck Got, there's a lot, lot in there. K deck is for non-hazard zone. Okay, and 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 how does that? What is that system, and how does it work? So that one, they have. Uh, it's kind of like a, a miniaturized cell phone system. Uh, there's like a big. There's a control a master controller for it. So when you key up your radio out in the field, the system recognizes that you're making a request to the system to talk. Based off of an IP or? It's based off a radio ID. Okay. And it also keeps. Just like an IP. And it, like as, as your radio travels, as you travel around the city with your radio, as you're, you're transitioning from one site to another, mm-hmm. the radio, the system is keeping track of where you are, keeps track of where your channel knob is at. So when you key up and make that talk request, it's, uh, it's processing that. And then once it makes... It's making a handshake, right? It's making a handshake. I'm trying to dumb it down. And then <laughs> once once you make that request with that key up, then the system goes out and looks at for everybody else that's on the system, that's on that same channel, make sure all the resources are, are there, and then that's when you get the, you get the beep beep. Okay. So usually that's within 750 milliseconds. Yeah. So all that's happening. With that's your, all that's happening behind... Yeah. I. I used to say it's like driving the space shuttle across the street. You know, if you were trying to talk to a guy on the end of the hose line, you know, you're doing all this other background stuff and going through all these computers and routers and all these different transmitter sites and things to get that done. Yeah, but you have to, right? But it's it's added complexity and increases, uh, like you were talking about, points of failure within the system. Right. But it is good for wide area communications. So, you know, when you look at the police department, the way that they operate is much different than we do. Um, their central point of communications is their um, 
their dispatch center. So they're always talking to their dispatch center. They don't, they typically don't set up like mobile command like we do like on the street, because when we set up on the street, then our central point of communications is that IC on the street. And not the alarm. They're a mobile, yeah. yeah, they're a mobile force that's always moving around and their central point of contact is always their dispatch. So center. there, there is a, there is a radio on a BC that's a little bit stronger than the other radios. Yeah, so what um, is that and Bata- why? Yeah, and Battalion why One there? has a uh, purposeful built mobile radio, which is a, a radio with a greater transmit uh, capability or power yep. um, that we can take, uh, and it's on the it's on the hazard zone channel. So it's the simplex. It's a simplex radio that we can take into the um, fire control room of high rise buildings, and it gives us it increases our ability to actually communicate to and from. The the, uh, the fire control room in a, in a high rise building. The other thing to always remember too is like as a BC is when you talk in that mobile radio as you're talking. I think I don't remember what they're set at, but those mobile radios when they're on VHF are set at a higher power rating than the portable. Portables are about five watts. Mm-hmm. Ours are I like twenty five, right? The Our mobiles mobiles? are about twenty twenty five. Yeah. I don't remember what they are. So it's that added punch that you need to overcome the resistance of the building. Gotcha. You know, overcome the you know the difficulty in the you know a firefighter that's inside that's in the horizontal position, those kinds of things. So, so that second rig radio that's on the BC, that radio is just a simplex radio, right? If they're dual band. They can listen to K-DEC. If you're on the A-DEC. A-deck. Okay. If you're on A-DEC. Yeah. I just wonder cause some, because the BCs always have two radios, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one they primarily just listen to. Yeah, and then so there is Why? one one of the mobile radios in the battalion chief rig has – um, the AA function. Mm-hmm. So it's the ability to listen to all the transmission and all the receive um, uh, that's going on if you're not in the same geographical location of the as the incident. Can that's you explain trying to that? get you to. Yeah, can you explain <laughs> yeah. that system, how that works? I'm doing a real good job at acting dumb and looking at it. So, so, when, so because of It's the hard levit- to tell when you're acting. I know, I know. <laughs> because of the limitations in the, the, the VHF system, like you said, it, you're limited to be able to transmit and for people to hear you that are within your geographic area of you know that radio, so that radio probably has maybe a mile range okay. know, or so. So when that somebody keys up on that, so the way that we overcome some of the that uh, that weakness in that system is we tie in the receiver network that the alarm uses. We take that audio and then we retransmit it onto the trunk system, which is that AA, and that gives you again that wide area coverage so that. You know, especially for BCs or special units like hazmat units that are coming from a long distance, that gives them the ability to get on that channel and monitor it. Because if you got on the VHF side of it, on the VHF channel, just the A deck, whatever it was, you aren't going to be able to hear it until you're about a mile or two away. Gotcha. Yeah, because the first time that I, I started driving Nunez or, or whatever, I'm like, what the hell? Hey, hey, this other show. And back to your 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 point of people needing to understand what the technology is, I'm like. You know, I'm like, what does this do? Oh, it's just, we can listen to everything. It's on magic. This. He's like, well, I think someone told me, like, we can listen to everything on that. I'm like, I'm going to need a better answer for this. <laughs> yeah, you get all you get all the direct TV channels. Yeah, you get everything it. on there. Like, there's, yeah. are, are the Disney channels on that one, yeah, too? Uh-huh. Perfect. I'm like, yeah. awesome. But, but no Pac-12 network. Right. So, yeah, because yeah, yeah. when we would get dispatched out to Maricopa or something out there when I was on Battalion 7, like, that's what, you know. Obviously, that's why you could hear those knuckleheads all the way in Maricopa. Yeah, but it took—I mean—to to get all of the things that you guys have in your system today it took a lot of work with the the union, 
the union had a big role. The uh, the fire department uh, leadership, you know, Chief Brunacini, you know, even Chief Khan when he you know he took over, mm-hmm. is that uh, you know when I first started that I was just a firefighter and who's going to you know why are they going to listen to a firefighter? We had a hard time listening to Chris in that meeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but still I still mean, do. <laughs> but I mean, you know, guys like what'd you say? <laughs> you heard me. But like Bruno and Chief Storm, you know, those guys, um, they they put they had faith in you know what we're doing. You know, you present with the facts, and they, they bought off. And then I still remember the day that I went to me and a guy named Andy McFarlane that were uh, testing because they had been, they'd been building the system. Say, yeah, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's like you were saying. Yeah, didn't anyone say that there's redundancy? Is going to, <laughs> right. But they kept on telling us that. Yeah, it's, everything's going to work. It's going to be fine. You guys are overly concerned, and you know, so sales guys trust us. Like, yeah. trust, trust us. us. Oop, that's a red flag. Yeah. But yeah. we were always the trust but verify guys. Yeah, yeah. For so sure. we went out. We did some testing, and him and I went to Thunderbird Hospitals a Friday afternoon, and I'm standing 50 feet from him, and I can't talk to him. And I go, this is bad. Yell louder. <laughs> I go, this is bad. He goes, what are we going to do? I go, I don't know. So we just went home that Friday, got home Monday, you know, came back to work Monday. He goes, what are we going to do? He said, got to tell the chief. I mean, yeah, you know, this is a $120 million project. That was about to get kicked off? Yeah. Ooh, boy. And how many months was it about oh, to Oh, this was off? over. This was years no, in but, the making. But the start of the project was like starting in 60 days, 30 days, 90 days? No, they had already built it. Oh, yeah. shit. It was, it was in place. <laughs> it was in place. Hey, man. It was cars built. <laughs> Runs like shit. <laughs> That's where yeah. we were. The system was built because they've been going, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, you guys are overly concerned. The engineers have, you know, figured all this out. And then we went out and tested it. So two technicians, firefighters or technicians at the time? Andy was actually an engineer. Yeah, okay. And he so, was a firefighter. So an engineer and a firefighter, uh, let's go test this thing 50 feet away. from I'm like, uh, who failed to test that thing? Yeah. That, that, that and that was just the first spot of many spots yeah. that ended up getting low. Uh, so then Chief Brunacini goes, "We're not doing this." <laughs> yeah, and, and so like then PD was like, "We don't have the money to do it without fire," you know. So yeah, then so it, then, fire bails. Yeah. And yeah. so that was a cool thing about having a leader that would would not sacrifice mm-hmm. our capacity and our safety. Even with a hundred and twenty some million dollar project, yeah. and PD really needing us to participate, and he's like, "Ain't gonna happen yeah. unless this works right." Well, you you're signing a check for death. Like, cool. Let's just let's just yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah, let, let's just tell a bunch of people that uh, we we figured it was fucked up, but we just decided to go with it. And I'm sorry that your husband died because our because well, hopefully I'll happened. make it past my career and, we'll, <laughs> yeah. and, and nothing bad will happen. I'll just I'll just pass on to the next guy. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Well, you guys had Terry Garrison on here, and so yeah. the, the the company that um, built their system kind of was in the, the exact boat that you're talking about. In there Houston, were lawsuits. Right? Yeah, there were lawsuits. Yeah, that's against exactly that company. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So because How, of, how'd that go over uh, when? Uh, Bruno said, eh, no, we're good. We're not doing this. <laughs> well, then it was like, you know, how do we, how can we fix it? And, you know, so we started looking. There is, I mean, that's a whole nother, we could talk for hours on that one. Right. But we won't even go there. But that was. A, but was the city manager up it was in arms, constructive. Really pissed off? Or like, did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like but it became or, constructive pretty quickly. It was <laughs> yeah. like, no, we got to fix this. Yeah. Yeah. So how much money did they waste building the system? I don't say that they wasted it, but I think. Uh, <laughs> Because it's a system we're using now. We're we're using it today, and and would you and true realistically, I mean, when you look at it, 
for what it is, is how what medic. percentage of calls do you run EMS on? Yeah, it was the medic radio system. <laughs> yeah, so so you built a big medic radio system. Yeah, yeah. But it does serve the purpose of, you know, I mean, you look at how much this valley has grown, mm-hmm. and we're able to talk from end to end. I mean, that's a value, too. And that's, for sure. And again, it's the right tool for the right job. Yeah. yeah and then so... Uh, so the, 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 there was some initial pushback when we started doing this and Mesa chose not to go follow us and they chose to go with a strictly, uh, trunk system, um, go simply, uh, with that, with the non-hazard zone, uh, radio system in the hazard zone. Right. And then what's the outcome of that? Yeah. Uh, Mesa is now building a VHF system. Oh, weird. Doing, huh, yeah, so. Funny. Yeah, it works. Spending a fair You're helping of money. them do that? No, no. <laughs> I've moved on to other things. Yeah. yeah, so speaking of that, so you finish out your career here. How many years? Uh, 29. Yeah, 29, 29 total, years. yeah. Um, uh, finishes up, uh, interestingly enough, in tech services. Yeah. And Well, you uh, got promoted to be a chief at the very end, right? Yeah. How long? I mean, how long before you left did they promote you to be a chief? Oh, I was in acting for a while, and then it wasn't... Was it two years? May have Did been. you get promoted two years before you left? No, it was late. It was later than that. Okay, so less was than like, two years? It was less than a year. <laughs> was it really? I was acting down there all that time. Oh, you were acting all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you were acting all right. Acting oh. fool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris been acting his whole career. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. Um, so... Um, uh, so you finish out at tech services and kind of the last thing you were doing is working on the CAD project and trying to identify what, if we were to go uh, buy a product that somebody else is selling, what things, what are the priorities for it and what does it have to do and what's negotiable and all that other stuff, which is an incredible undertaking. Just talk a second about all the things that you measured that our current CAD system does. Yeah. So like, you know, we went through and we, we analyzed and we documented, and I got to say that you know the civilians that work down there are—they uh, have a thankless job. I mean, we, you know, out in the field, as you see all the great things that the CAD system does, and you mm-hmm. take it for granted. But there, there are guys in there that are slaving in cubicles every day. Well, I'm going to say some of their names because I'll say Larry Huseman and 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 Ron Birch from the very beginning. I really want be, his name to be Ron being Bird, huge, be, being <laughs> huge in that. But the guys like after that, the Lance Strongs of the world, yeah, Jeff Yaling, Jeff Brian, Yaling, uh, Greg Plitz, yeah, and, and Martha Greg Johnson's still in there around. Now. He's yeah, still Greg around, and right? Jeff and Martha Johnson now are kind of the the the, the torchbearers of that gotcha. for for cad now and they, they 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 truly and legitimately kick ass they should probably just write their own system and sell it back well that's <laughs> well what happened just it, saying well that's the yeah, difficulty yeah. what we've had is the the system when when it was initially built is there weren't many like it so there was a kind of a public private partnership between the phoenix fire department and the the provider yeah so they gave us access to the the source code right. so what's what, it written in c it's cobol Oh shit! Oh yeah! yeah. So wow. yeah. all those dudes are dead. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're going. They're going through the graveyards. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to tease them because they were going to the used, right now. They're going to the used bookstores to buy cobalt books because you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh-huh. it's but, written in Latin. Yeah, but Jeez. because we had access to the source code, is you could keep on writing things for it and, yeah. and customizing it, and, mm-hmm. and so so it's so bastardized. It's, it's yeah, it's and so the standard. guys that are in there, these young young guys that are in there now. Are COBOL programmers? Yeah, for and sure. Because you can't go get them anymore. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, but 
and, and I get where the Phoenix Rider Department's coming from, but like here at this company, I don't I don't customize anything. Like every, like we try and buy everything that's off the shelf to and just adapt our business around. Like our project management software, this, that, and the other. Like like our Salesforce tools, all stuff. It's all out of the box. If we adapt our their standard processes, we just adopt those. But but in the fire department. Um, it sounds like it, that's just not a doable thing because whatever whatever out of the out of the box package stuff, it's just not going to fit how we do things. Cause yeah, because you're buying for a single company. Yeah. So now you have to look at the Phoenix Fire Department as a service provider. Yeah. They're providing that for 26 different municipalities that have 26 right. different ways of doing things. Yep. So they've been able to customize this product to do each individual thing within one big system. So is there an instance of CAD for every single... Um, every single city outdoors is just one, one, one CAD program with a bunch of functionality that maybe not everybody uses. It's one program with a lot of functionality. So there's okay. different, all those different nature code. There are a lots of different nature codes depending on what your city you're in. That, that makes me feel. And better. then the response, <laughs> the response, you know, on those nature codes is based on some of the requirements that each of those municipalities has. Yeah. So, so the today's CAD programmers and even the ones for previously, they should be driven to and from their house in an armored vehicle. They should be put in a hermetically sealed environment every night when they go home. Yeah. Yeah. We have no, to I, keep I agree with that. them safe. I mean, because we don't, uh, we don't regularly talk about how important and their actual value to the system uh, as we know it in the original nine one one. There's only two of them. Well, that's yeah. Think about that. There's only two of them. <laughs> that's a, oh Jesus. Yeah. And uh, do they have a, a departmental handbook uh, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I I would love to know what Greg and Jeff actually have written down. And what Lance wrote down when, in his time there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's all stick figures and, and rainbows. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that that that's a little bit worrisome, right? Because if uh, well, they should definitely never go to lunch together and drive in the same car. That's true, but yeah. you know, they should, yeah, they should always. Yeah. They should but always I mean, you be think separated. you think about that that one dispatch center, for, and there's only two fire dispatch centers within this whole region: Mason, us, Mason, right? and Phoenix. Okay. And you think well, about, we actually own two now. We do? What's the other one? Well, we have the our original alarm room at Fire Admin and then our alarm room oh, gotcha. and then AHQ2 down at the Academy. But, gotcha. I mean, when you look at the impact of losing one, you know, that's yeah. that's a... Uh, <laughs> 50%? Yeah. <laughs> 50% of your capability well, goes we're, right we're, out the door. We're 75% of it. Yeah. Mace is only 20%. They only have 25% yeah, of that. Yeah, so... Do they train any backups? Any so interestingly enough, when I was uh, the battalion chief in the alarm room, the Mesa Where alarm room worked. <laughs> the, the Mesa alarm room failed. They had I can't remember what the issue was, but it wasn't inhabitable. And we picked up the dispatching for the Mesa system, and the Mesa of uh, uh, dispatchers came over and sat and and co occupied consoles in Phoenix at our alarm room the, 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 on 12th Street um, uh, to dispatch their system. And that, I want to say that that went on for like 72 hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, at least. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But yeah, um, now 
if we fail, they can't do the same for us. Can can uh, can those can Martha and Greg can they just write a command where I can find out what all the commands are for CAD <laughs> so I can just type in <laughs> no no, like that? no no you don't need to know those can't do that yeah, yeah. you don't need well, to know because it's funny because I because you know you, like you know my background uh-huh. so along the way when I was a booter I'm like disconnecting modems and restarting them like like on the uh, on the uh, trucks for for Kirk over like in his crew because their shit would go down I'm like I'll just I'll just reboot the modem dude or whatever blah 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 and then I'm like they're like well we can't get on that website I'm like yeah you can't I'll just go through my proxy server and we'll go through all this other shit so I'm doing all this stuff and I'm like uh, and I just learned you know commands along the way mm-hmm. um, and like what to do but I'm like why can't I just type in um, a uh, some syntax that just brings up the list of commands and what they are. You really are. want firefighters to know those? I would like to know some <laughs> of that shit myself. And 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 and, and uh, for the knuckleheads on the trucks, a you know a truncated or a or a a smaller list of, of like the common commands that you would use because like a lot of times like to cancel an engine, like I don't need to go across. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here. If you would have gone to your captain's academy after your I tried list to came go. out, I tried to go. There is the whole two hour class <laughs> on that. Do you remember this conversation where I'm like, I never got invited, and then we tried to get me to go, and they're yeah. like, Yeah, we'll have one. Then I never got invited to that one. Either. I'm like, Yeah, that was I, after I left. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think they ever wanted me there. So, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but I even talked to some of the guys who went through that, and they're like, Nah, man, like guys are going through right now. Through the captain's carriers, like Mm-mm. yeah, don't, they're not teaching that same stuff. No, they're, yeah, they're not teaching any of that stuff. But but those basic commands to be able to add a unit, stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, so you don't have to go over or you know, no, hey, F one will actually give you the good self. It will give you an updated cell phone ping, like a mountain rescue or F five or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, um, like that. Those are the things that are valuable to know the technology mm-hmm. and how to use it. How to use important. your tools. Yeah, exactly. So, so and like you know, like the measuring tool. That I could act, that I could actually use. Like, okay, that plug's approximately seventy five feet away. We can hand jack that. Oh no, that that's one hundred fifty. We can't hand jack that. I was Stuff I was like on a that. call when I was on engine fifty when I was up there before I came back out of the before field. Before you quit, yeah, before I quit. <laughs> Me and uh, Tommy Gunn was my engineer, so we we pulled up and we were going to this house fire, and I go just hand jack it. So we had him go on in. Yeah, and so after he goes, do you know how far that plug away? I go, it was like. This far on the MDT, and when I say yeah. this far, is like I'm showing the, I'm showing these guys like a quarter inch my fingers. <laughs> really? You know, I get, it was no problem for yeah. me, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is the equivalent of about 175 feet. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> and if and if you're gonna pull a four inch line 150 feet, it's gonna be a motherfucker. I said yeah. you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> Stop complaining. So, but yeah, no that that kind of stuff would would actually be valuable. Yeah, so, I don't disagree with that. Somebody actually came up with a list. Uh, an ex alarm room guy who's now a fireman, who's now a captain, um, sent me a list of all the codes. There's a lot of codes. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, there's, I'm like, there's a lot of them. Well, the M- M- uh, and some of those codes don't work on. There, there, there's restricted. There's only certain codes that work on an MCT versus ones that will work on a dispatch console. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I went through all of them and tried them all. Nice, so I'm just like, nice. you know. <laughs> like, hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah, I like to not get on the radio as much as possible. If I can just do it over the MCT, then I'll just then I'll just type something in there sure. to cancel, add, whatever, all that other mm-hmm. stuff. So, But, yeah, it's actually important to know that kind of shit. So you, you do this stuff with CAD, then you decide, uh, I think I'm going to leave the Phoenix Fire Department because there's another project out there that's actually pretty 
pretty cool and pretty interesting and actually going to be very important to us or kind of is important to us now, but it's going to be important to us in the future. Um, and uh, you, you apply for that and they hire you. So what is it that you're doing now? So now I work for uh, FirstNet, FirstNet, the FirstNet Authority, which is the the government arm of um, we're kind of the the oversight on the implementation of a contract that we have with AT and T and FirstNet AT and T. And uh, after uh, after two thousand one nine eleven attacks, um, the nine eleven commission report that kind of thing. There was there were some identified weaknesses in communication systems for public safety. And so in the 2012 Middle Class Tax Relief Act, there was a, a provision put in there that to establish what we call the Nationwide Public Safety Broadband Network. And so this is a nationwide uh, communications network for public safety. And basically, it's, a, it's just like uh, another cell phone network, but it's just for public safety. And that allows you to transmit both voice and data. So separate of the military's own separate network. Of, yeah. Okay. So it's a primarily it's only and, for and other and the other commercial fire police and EMS, EMS. Um, emergency management okay. and emergency communication centers. Reef builders needs to get on that. So <laughs> and the reason and I, I mean you you can look back in history on times when um, communication systems have failed, especially when we talk digital communications. And I'll just give you a little history on the Phoenix Fire Department on our mobile computer system or mobile data terminals that we had back in the mid eighties, which is give a little more color to that, which is a piece of equipment that's sitting on a, sitting on yeah, a fire a, truck. Basically it's a dumb terminal that's sitting in the fire truck that allows you to receive digital information. So when you got a call, it would give you um, on the screen, it would tell you the incident number, the address, the map book page, the call type, and maybe some, uh, you know, simple it, information, it, yeah. incident information. It, you know, it was only a dumb terminal, depending on who was sitting reading that information. <laughs> no, it was just dumber. It was just, yeah. Those, those. I mean, those like the computers that you have in there today, you could pull them out and actually use them as a computer. Those computers had no smarts in them; they had to have a connection to have the smarts. Right. Right. Yep. And they and they allowed you to hit responding and on scene and do some other stuff that was very yes. very new at the time. So you had digital communications that allowed you to not talk on the radio that you know reduced the amount of your voice traffic. Gotcha. But those systems were owned the the uh, the radio towers and all that stuff were owned by the city of Phoenix. We had our own data network that we deployed for uh, Phoenix, Peoria, Tempe, and Glendale. You were underpaid. So. <laughs> But those, so, but the thing about that system was, is we had control over it. We didn't have to worry about priority. So, it became when we started adding more and more cities on, you couldn't keep on, you couldn't keep up with building that data system out. Right. So then we moved over to commercial. You know, Phoenix moved over to commercial networks, and we started using commercial providers. And the, always the drawback was, is we didn't have, uh, we had no priority on that system. Right. So now, now you fast forward to say a Boston bombing. You know, when they went into the Boston bombing, you know, fire trucks you know, went to that area where the incident happened. There's a lot of people there. They're trying to call home. They're trying to tweet. They're trying to do all those different things. If you're on the same priority level as all those people, is you aren't, your traffic isn't going to get out. You have good signal strength. And if you, and this is the thing that, you know, kind of fools people. As you look at your, your cell phone. I got bars. I got bars. In more places. Yeah, you got, you got all the bars there. You know, you have good signal strength, but what you don't have is the throughput or the bandwidth required to do it, be able to do your job. So because of that is why FirstNet is here, and that's why we're building the network out for 
Well, I think that's where people get confused. Like they like like they think because they can't see the technology, it's limitless. Like like there are no restrictions to it. Like I got a phone. Why like why doesn't thing like why doesn't it work? It's like well, it it will work when it's not bogged down. But the FirstNet system, they is it five G, six G, a thousand G? What is it? So I was just talking with Chris about this a little bit. So. You know, initially when the system was procured and the contract was um, AT&T, was, uh, we had an open, um, you know, competition for the contract. Right. So AT&T now. was a successful bidder. They they won it. How many RFPs went out? Oh, I don't know. Lots? I, I wasn't in that part. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't no, even no, care. Don't, that government <laughs> just procurement. Just the fire guy. Yeah. Just, He's the fire I was guy. just the fire guy for the... <laughs> just the radio authority. dude, man. <laughs> but um, so when the contract went out, it was for a 4G core. Okay. And so now... Um, one of the things that the first net authority was actually allocated frequency or given frequencies. And so what the, this public private partnership with AT&T is, is they have to pay the first net authority basically rent on those frequencies. How many frequencies? It's a, uh, it's 20 megahertz of bandwidth. So, okay. but anyway, they, so that sounds a lot. Over, I guess the reason why I asked when you put some color around it, like, can you just, can you just make up as many frequencies as you want, or are you no, limited? Yeah, yeah. So no. that's, let's talk about. It's that like a real bit. estate. So right. there's a there's a there's a you know a finite amount of the real estate. Mm-hmm. You can only push so much data through X amount of real estate, and so now FirstNet has you know this 20 megahertz of real estate. And and what's that real estate based off of when it comes to FirstNet satellites? No, it's just uh, it's like it's like really close to the public safety band of your voice traffic. So it's like 700 megahertz. Okay. But it's twenty megahertz, so you know it's uh, that's how much how wide it is. Gotcha. It's how wide your lot is. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's 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 one acre versus. So we're in the seven hundred megahertz state. Yep. And this is how big your lot is within that state. Gotcha. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. You are you are lot number twenty four. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> On there, whatever. But over the next, uh, you know, this contract with AT and T is you know twenty five years, and it was uh, started in twenty seventeen. So um, yeah. So anyway, over the life of this contract, it's estimated that they'll pay us um, about eighteen to twenty billion dollars with a B. That's so, not. That's a number in nine zeros. Yeah, I guess it's nine zero. I went to a Mario. Remember, pal's kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's lucky you can we can get through the door. All three yeah. of us. <laughs> so so they're going to be paying uh, first the first net authority that money over the next uh, you know twenty plus years. And then the FirstNet Authority will continue to reinvest that money into communication technologies associated with a network to make it better for public safety responders. They'll reinvest all that money or a portion of that money? The only money that they won't <clears throat> reinvest is operational costs to keep the FirstNet door, FirstNet Authority doors open. Man, that's awesome. So there's only, and at the FirstNet Authority, there's only about 200 employees total. Okay. And it's... Um, you were employee number what? Oh, I don't know. Backside or frontside? I was These on are the important back, questions. You I was on the back side. So what is it that you specifically are doing for FirstNet? So initially I was hired to represent the fire service. Um, you are the guy representing the fire the service. The nationwide subject matter expert. That's kind of a big deal, huh? For fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, and he won't even tell us. My Ambo partner. Yeah. <laughs> he obviously carries a guy you for a used long to, time. We would sit, <laughs> we would sit and eat bags of Jack in the Box tacos in the middle of the night on really, Central really Avenue, busy yeah. shifts. Yeah, who wouldn't? Two for one tacos. <laughs> he, he obviously got you to medic school. Sounds like he got you. Your, yeah, your, I still your, fucking regret that. 
<laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so th- I was the fire service, the subject matter expert for the fire service for the first net authority. That's a big so deal. it was going out, meeting with the fire service, getting them aware of this program, what was going on with it, and letting them know what was going to happen. And initially, we needed to get political support from um, the fire service and from the individual states so that we could build out because each state had to agree to the plan that was submitted to the state. So, so they had state, no stakeholders. Nobody had signed on yeah. when so he starts. How, how many fire partners did you talk to? Oh, I have no idea. Like hundreds, 200? Hundreds. Because yeah. I was sent to... That had to be a I told my boss. I told my boss, God. I said, I'm just your fire department show pony. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> I would go have to go to all the fire department shows and then meet with individual agencies and meet with the major associations of, gotcha. with the fire service, so the IFF, the IFC... National Volunteer Fire Council, but not not a totally. I mean, I'm not discounting your ability as a as a technical guy or a salesman, but probably not a hard thing to get people to jump on board with, right? We'll have our own <laughs> network. No, I mean, it, it, it's uh, surprisingly there are brand loyalty with anything. Yeah. So you know, it was new, and again, it was like you know, trust but verify. You know, build it and show me. Yeah, you're like great. That's well, like and how bug. much ignorance to technology did you encounter? A lot. I mean, because like you know, you go into a, a fire station, you're you know talking to some fire guys, and you go, yeah. "Yeah, I'm here to talk about talk about broadband," and you know, you, you their eyes roll around in their head. Which compartment yeah. on the truck is the broadband? Can I get porn faster on it? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, so they don't even understand, you know, what right. that means to them and how it impacts their job. Yeah. But when you explain to them that, does it help me force the door faster? You know, fire yeah. station alerting. You know, you, the way you communicate from your fire truck with the uh, the mobile computer that's in your fire truck, uh, potentially potentially connecting to your you know your phone where you can connect to your radio system to mm-hmm. your phone, um, the hot spot on you your know, the hot on spot your, uh, on your rig, well on your and on your heart monitor, your heart monitor being able to transmit those. Oh man, you just want all that so you can monitor us more. <laughs> yeah. so you can see how fast we're driving and listen to our conversations on the fire truck. We're not doing that. But I mean, they, it's all of those. It's all those things. And right. so when uh, when I got on with for the first authority, one of the first things I did was I I created this basically as a uh, connect data connectivity guide for the fire service for dummies. You know, and so right. you, you break it down, and you know, the, there's some major components there. You have a dispatch center that you know receives your nine one one calls, and they're pushing it things out. And then you have your fixed state, your fixed assets, which are your fire stations, your mobile assets, which are your your apparatus and the personnel. And each of those have connectivity requirements based on the capabilities that are associated with them. So, for instance, say a um, say an ALS engine company that's out there that has, you know, has a mobile data computer, her mobile computer on it. It has two heart monitors. It has, uh, I think that's about it, right? Their monitor. Yep, that's it. And and a rig phone. Yeah. Yeah. So rig phones are cool too. And then you look at a command van that has, you know, a bunch of computers in the back and all these things. So the connectivity requirements are different based on the capabilities that are associated with those apparatus. So a lot of departments didn't understand that. The other thing is they don't understand, you know, what data they're moving around, how they're moving around. So you start talking about what, what applications are you using out in the field. What do you mean? What's your, what's your, I just see all these blank faces as you're, as you're talking about, they're like, what the fuck did this guy just say? I have no idea what this guy just told us. But then you throw on top of it, you know, so now you're moving all this information around. How is it prioritized? Is there data, is there data that can be delayed? Does it have to be sent immediately? You know, what's, 
You know, so I what's started, hazard zone data, what's not hazard zone yeah. data, what's patient related data, mm-hmm. what's not. Yep. So I said, and I was telling them, so basically, you know, you want to priority one, priority two, you know, if it affects patient, you know, patient treatment or outcome, you know, priority one, if it affects decisions on the fire ground that could have, that it could affect, uh, you know, life safety, life safety yep. then priority one. But if it's like, you know, doing an EMS report and it's just for billing purposes, you know, Store it and forward it later, you know, priority two. And when you say store it and forward it later, that's seconds. It it could be seconds or it could be minutes. Depending on the business. Because because you think about it, you know, you go to some apartment complex and say you don't have, you know, you don't have, you're using a tablet, it's Wi-Fi connected. We don't know what those are. Well, I know you don't. (laughs) I know you don't. But a lot of people Our, our ink pens aren't Wi-Fi yeah, enabled. That's it, man. We're carbon copy shit's hard. But a lot of people out in the world, a lot of departments out in the world have, you know, electronic patient care reporting. They take a tablet inside a building. What some is this of them, thing you call patient care reporting? But some of them are just Wi-Fi connected where you walk inside the building, you get out of coverage, they can take and they can uh, they can document right. yep. the, store it locally. document it, store it locally, and then when they walk back out to the fire truck, then they can forward it on. Right. Automatically, automatically. Yeah. But some other com- some other departments use that to drive patient treatment. So then those tablets should be connected, and they should have their own, you know, SIM yeah. card or thing in there that connects to the right. system on its own. So, but uh, you know, a lot of it is just talking with departments like that, um, helping them understand what the technology is, <laughs> understanding like how they can job. use it. Yeah, actually, it's been. Uh, I bet it's, it's been fun. But it's been rewarding and it's been eye opening because yeah. you go to some place. I mean. We came from Disneyland. You, you it, truly, we came from Disneyland. When I went over to, uh, you know, we're providing the service out to the territories as well. I went to the um, uh, Marianas Islands mm-hmm. earlier, earlier this year, and you go out there and I you feel see. Very bad for you, by the way. The those guys <laughs> have nothing. What do you mean nothing? They have a radio, and they get a phone call. You know, they get their nine one one call comes in. I don't even think they have a nine one one system. They don't have like GIS information, geographic yeah, information yeah. with street addresses because they are uh, family roads and those kinds of yeah, things. It's like the third Palapa west of the coconut. Yeah, yeah like they're operating 50, 60 style fire department, right? Exactly. Yeah, wow. And so the guy that take the person that takes the call writes it down in a logbook, tries to call the station on the radio. If they don't call, then he calls some guy on a phone, you know, directly and says, right. Hey, you got a call here. And then they go. Whew. And it's, it's from that to departments like Phoenix and, you know, some of the more advanced departments that have, all, you know, all the toys. Yeah, you're going, you're not going just nation, you're going worldwide. Well, it's just U.S. territories. Yeah, but US still, US I mean, you're still around the world. Yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah it's not yeah. like just um, the continental U.S., you're, yeah. you're everywhere. Wow. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, and I, and I guess some people would be a harder sale than others. Like, New York probably wasn't a tough sell. Like, oh, no, we get No, it. I mean, surprisingly, you know, they had... Well, when you look at so you look at technology infrastructure and the amount, say, an FDNY has invested to change a, a provider mm-hmm. is a significant expense. Right. Not just in equipment, but in man hours to do it. Right. Change like you were talking about IP addresses. You know, I don't yeah. know if everybody on the, the phone's gonna, I mean, on the podcast is gonna understand IP addresses, but it's your home address. It's, every, it's your home address <laughs> on your fire. Tra- everybody single fire truck has an IP address, and yeah. for to go out and have to change all those. To some new provider is, is difficult and time consuming. Sure. So those big ships, it's difficult to turn them. But mm-hmm. the smaller ones, 
you know, it's, it's a little bit easier. Right. I just figured New York with, with the, <clears throat> with the, with what they experienced in 2001, they'd be like, yeah, hey, yeah, I know we get that. A lot of the, they're very stuff. willing to adopt cool stuff, new, newer, cooler stuff now. At least that's been my experience. Right. A lot of them, you, what you see is they'll, they'll start, um, start adoption or start using it, mm-hmm. but they will take, it'll take time to completely transition them. Gotcha. Yeah. It's something that big. How many fire stations do they have? Uh, well, they have like fifteen thousand members. I don't yeah, know they have three hundred engine companies in that yeah, in that area. Yeah, so it's, yeah, that's a lot. Jeez, yeah. oh, that's a that's a monumental task. But I mean, when you the system, when you start thinking about it, the amount of reinvestment money we have, we have like six areas that we're going to reinvest in. So one of them is the core, and that's to bring it up to five G and whatever Gs come after that. Right. Well, there is there are some companies out there now that are solving the hardware problem when it comes to cell phones that that by by adopting software that. That they've developed software to take your 3G, 2G, 4G old technology and make it run on a 5G or or 6G platform. Mm-hmm. So 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 all that old, old hardware, we're like, oh, that's on a 5G phone. There's there's a software company out there. It's actually they have they're developing it, and I th- I don't know where they're at, like like in that process, but they'll they'll be able to take you know my dad's flip phone and <laughs> let it run on a 5G network. But I mean, the other areas we're investing in is, is coverage and capacity. So, as part of this too, is we can't at the FirstNet Authority we have oversight on FirstNet AT and T and way they deploy the network. They have to have equal deployment both in rural and urban area, urban. I mean, non-rural and rural areas, so that um, you know they aren't just cherry picking and you know doing the yeah most you know, important places. Yeah, first. exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we're doing uh, situational awareness. So that's to increase the amount of tools, technology tools you have to increase situational awareness, whether it's sensors or drones and, um, you know, whatever, you know, things like that. And, uh, then we're doing a secure data exchange just because, you know, the world we live in today, everybody's trying to hack everything. Right. And we, we, we do, we do work with, uh, protected information, you know, well, one of the questions, EMS side that I forgot to ask when we were talking about like all the radio transmission and all that stuff is, is um, how, how far out are we on encrypted radio transmission for the, you know, for the fire service? It exists. Um, it exists and it just depends on where you want to use it. Again, it's that gotcha. right tool for the right job. So, um, you know, with Can- encryption, you lose some things, you may lose range, you may lose some, you know, because you're digitizing, you may lose some intelligibility or, um, voice quality Mm -hmm. so um you know again that's why the kind of the gold standard for audio quality has been analog analog Mm -hmm. you know voice and that's why the the vhf system is analog so i mean that's so k4 for us right now on our system is is encrypted okay and that that tech that vhf technology has been around for how long it's a long time time. yeah Yeah. it's crazy that, that nothing i mean if it works it works but nothing better than that has actually come out and then, uh, you know, FirstNet's also, we've just, uh, FirstNet AT&T just launched their, um, the push to talk that we are what we call a FirstNet push to talk. And so that's um, another alternative. So I don't know if you remember Nextel. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now you can have, you know, talk groups on the LTE system. You can actually tie these to your radio system. And I think Mesa started working on some of this. And We just uh, tested that when we were in Philadelphia, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, we, we called... One of one of the guys that works with him, we did push to talk. Who he was in Guam, and yeah, we, and we were sitting, well. yeah. we were sitting in downtown Philadelphia. So what's pretty cool Drinking. about that is you think about that <laughs> you know, as we move into the future. Is now you can be on 
a you know a radio channel or a talk group. Yeah. And say you go to the backside of the building now, I can send a, a picture of the backside of the building, and everybody on that talk group receives it. That's pretty cool. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a learning curve on how to implement that technology, right. those new technologies into you know an operational use. Um, Cody just called me a couple of shifts ago and asked me if I would start working on that stuff in our battalion because uh, nice. we have some really unique facilities uh, and, and buildings there. Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to start messing with using our first net phone to augment our fireground communications and what and, and what and how we could actually do that. In some places with the other thing they've seen too, especially with the trunked radios is, you know, they'll see a radio that they've spent, you know, $9,000 on that's, they can look at the radio log within the system and see how many times it's been turned on. And they notice that the only time it's turned on is when there's a big incident. And so they got this $9,000 piece of equipment that's sitting on someone's desk in pristine condition when some guy out in the field has the knobs busted off his and that kind of thing. <laughs> so what they're doing is they're taking and they're tying the, uh, the land mobile radio system or trunked radio system or VHF radio system to the um, FirstNet you know, LTE system and letting them have access to those same, you know, channels or radio channels through the phone, and then they can take that nine thousand dollar piece of equipment and so, get it back out in the field. So really, the goal of FirstNet is going to be to be the one network for public safety forever. Yep, because because you don't have to um, departments um, or whoever you don't you don't have to be on. It's a choice, right? It's a choice, and so that's one of the things that was in the contract is they have. Um, they have targeted goals that they have to meet as far as um, number of subscribers or number right. of users. Sales goals. Because, <laughs> and the reason that is because the government wanted the network to be self-sustaining and sustainable. Right. So they're required to get X amount of numbers on there, you know, bet- between now and the end of the contract. So, so and interestingly, we have former Phoenix Fire Department folks on the, the, the government side, you know, doing that, doing the stuff that Mike's doing. And then we have former Phoenix firefighters on the AT&T side. Yeah, there's a chief. Isn't there a chief that yeah. took a job over uh-huh. there or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, Amos Chalmers, he's the uh, he's part of their what they call their uh, field advanced uh, solutions team now. So he's actually out there working on tying, a lot of his job is tying radio systems to this first net push-to-talk um, uh, service that they rolled out. Gotcha. And it's pretty cool because, like I said, Arizona DPS is using it. And so, like, when they travel across the Navajo Nation and some of those rural areas, mm-hmm. their radio coverage was spotty. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah, that's probably an understatement. It's and spotty. Fortunately, yeah. the, the radio system spotty areas and the um, LTE spotty areas are different. And so, since they've tied those two systems together, is officers out there now have had um, the ability to, if they're in the, their dead spot with their radios, they can key up on their LTE device, the, like the phones you guys have. They're in the troopers truck. now. They're not officers. Troopers. Yeah, yeah. whatever. That's what I said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, Pay attention, Chris. But they, can, but they can key up. And so initially it was a pilot, and they were going to end the pilot, and then they said, uh, we're going to pull these, this equipment out away from you. And then the, the, op, the troopers out there said, uh, no, you're not. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> what is, what is uh, LTE? What does it stand for? How does it work? Why is it, you know? So, don't, don't look at me. I don't know. Wow. So when you said 5G, yeah. 5G falls under that LTE umbrella, which means long-term evolution. So this is the technology that's going to be used on into the future, and there's going to be many iterations of you know what that technology Someday is. Someday it'll be 20G. It or might be 20G. Yeah, it might whatever. be 20X or you gotcha. know whatever. Yeah. But 
it'll continue to evolve to uh, achieve faster and faster speeds and, and better coverage over time. So I think one of the last things I wanted to make sure that we touched on, there's a few things that at least locally and probably nationally from a technology standpoint that we get frustrated with uh, on the fire ground is um, what are the challenges with us having in, uh, in equipment communications, meaning, you know, maybe, maybe a, a communication, intercommunication devices and radio communication devices tied to our SCBA system. And then the other thing that's very popular to talk about is firefighter location systems. So being able to use GPS or some other technology that helps us find lost, trapped firefighters inside of a building. And there's a whole host of technological challenges with that that, that I know you have a hand in. So voice communication within our SCBA or, or mask, right? Correct. Uh, heads up display for whether it be uh, locations of location of firefighters, crews, air management, and well, the heads up display could probably display any of that. Okay, but the, but secondary to the communication side, there's this uh, there's these mayday resolution tools that you know we we've the fire services said well if we have a firefighter call a mayday, we want to know where they are in the building. Yep. Well. So there's, you know, it's a three-dimensional plane system that you have to be able to 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 look at elevation, you know, lo- longitude, latitude, where the heck are they, right. um, and be able to read it through buildings or uh, lay it over a building that, uh, and and how does it actually truly become useful and accurate and all that other stuff and see it on the Avengers. So sure, right. So what's if we if you think about it in a couple of different. Um, Buckets. Like I was saying, we had those areas that we're going to reinvest in. Yep. So one of them is user interface. And that's where you're talking about the the ability for a user and the way they interface with the technology or piece of equipment. Whether it's, and it can be, it can be software or it can also be, you know, hardware. So like you're talking, you know, whether it's uh, in, in face piece communications or heads up displays. Um, one of the things that when the legislation was passed to create FirstNet was that also $300 million was set aside to do um, set given to public safety communications research out of NIST, and their response, their tasking is to go out and find uh, better ways of communicating for public safety responders. So what they've done is they've kind of modeled themselves after DARPA, and they've created these contests where they go out and they say, "Hey, we have you know this problem. This is the problem. Um, we're going to have this contest, and you have you know six months to come up with a solution." They show up. And they do. Uh, they show up to this contest, and they come up with their solutions. And so that's. Uh, I saw one for like a heads-up display and augmented reality for um, an SCBA, where <laughs> you know they, and they were really, and it was kind of uh, interesting to look at the contrasting you know solutions because like some of them were pretty simple. Uh, the ones that were simple, you know, you look into the face piece and you the heads-up display, and you see uh, what direction you're moving. You could see, and the, one of the givens was that you would be able to locate, you would have mapping capability and be able to locate that person within a building. So you would see the direction to travel, kind of like uh, a homing beacon, kind of like lanes that, you know, kind of like lanes, um, virtual lanes to travel down mm. because you had the in, in the mapping thing. Okay. But you could, you could actually go to the victim and, and you know, and affect rescue. And, and it also monitored, you know, uh, heat. You know your your body statistics. One thing right. that Bruno always said: we are great at monitoring all of our 
vehicles and all those things, but we don't monitor our human systems. No. <laughs> so it, it allowed you to monitor that and then transmit the information out. So that's one of the, the contests that PSCR ran. Um, they've done other ones for drones and other kind of things, but those are all things that are in the pipeline to um, move the technologies for public safety responders down the, lane, down the road. So public safety communications research, there's also efforts within the Department of Homeland Security. There's a science and technology directorate, mm -hmm. and they also work um, with uh, manufacturers to do those kinds of things. Um, some of the universities out there that I've seen are uh, Texas A&M has a defense to responder um, part within their university within Texas, uh, the Texas Texas Extension. You there. introduced me to that guy, or the guy that used to work there. Yeah, so they they actually work to look at def, look at res, uh, technologies that are used in the defense department and move those over to the responder community. So there's efforts there as well. So I think there's a lot of things coming, especially with this new standard coming out within FPA. So all those things are tied together and moving the ball forward. For do any of those solve the uh, the the challenges of the fact that the fire service isn't a huge uh, slice of that? communication technology uh, industry, um, you know, will we see delays simply because it's not profitable for, for a company to come up with this, some really new, interesting, cutting-edge stuff that's expensive because, you know, only so many fire departments have the ability to use it or the willingness to use it? I think with the uh, kind of the, uh, I, when they started doing the contests and things, it showed that there was more interest in it than I thought. Mm. Um than I realized. And then it also exposed younger people to being able to provide solutions for public safety that probably wouldn't have even looked at it before. So kids in their basement are building stuff. Yeah. The kids with, you know, Cheetos and Cheetos and Red Bull, you know, they're going after it. You <laughs> right. know. Mountain Dew Extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, I, in fact, I went to a, there, there was an applications contest that I went to and in Chicago and it was probably about a year ago. And so this guy, man, he looked crazy. He's walking around in his house coat and slippers, and he's got his computer laptop, and he's kind of carrying, cradling it, and he's got his hair's all crazy, and he looks like Einstein. And and I go, I gotta follow this guy around. And that guy, <laughs> that guy awesome. ended up, you know, he took home probably about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars that weekend in prize money. Wow! You know, just for applications that he wrote that weekend. So. And his mom's still making a meatloaf. Meatloaf, mom. But uh, we also at First Net, we're also working with NIST, you know, directly with them on a, a protect tech to protect project to uh, develop applications for first responders. That, you know, whether it's a user interface, because I mean, when you start looking at uh, as we start getting more information as you're going on a call, as there's um, information flow and pace. And what's what's usable, what's not usable, mm -hmm. and, and so there's there, a there's a cap to the amount of information right. we can actually take in, right? So there has to be a, a way to uh, manage that information so that it, it gets to the right person at the right time at the right sequence on, on, for the incident. And so they're working on artificial intelligence solutions to come up with ways of uh, identifying what that data is and what that date. We we say data. Data is the raw material. Information becomes stuff that you can use, and then that becomes you know actionable information that you can actually yeah, use. Yeah, intelligence. Down. Yeah, intelligence, exactly. Crazy. Um, yeah. So there's there, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming, and it isn't simply as simple as, hey, we just we need to 
you know, jam a microphone and, an, and, no, a, and, no, a, and no, a speaker no, no. in our SCBA mask yeah. so we can talk better. Or do but the, the one that you, once you mentioned that's really close to home for me is location-based service just because my background in the Navy is that that was all about location-based services. Yeah. Was that, you know, um, working with NIST on they're – com- they're having a contest this year on location-based services. And so we, as first responders, went and we talked with NIST about creating the parameters for that contest. And, you know, some of them were – you know, you can't tell us where to park the fire trucks. You know, it has to operate independent, you know, without GPS. It has to operate inside a building. Um, it has to, you know, maintain accurate position accuracy for, you know, two hours, you know, things like that. So those are all coming down the lane. Um, and then it's not just about the location. It's about documenting, you know, I could know where I'm at, you know, in space, but I have to reference it to something. Right. And that reference is typically the map of the building. For us, you know, the fire service. And it's a three-dimensional map. Yeah. So NIST, um, the PSCR group, last year they developed a this kind of a crazy-looking thing. The guy, I pity the guy that has to wear it on the crew, but <laughs> it's a backpack, and it has kind of like that Google car thing on top of it. Oh, yeah. That's the radio dude. Yeah. yeah. Shoot it, that guy. It's got, right. the, it's got a little mask that comes off the backpack, and it's got the LiDAR deal. Mm-hmm. And so it's an unlicensed nuclear accelerator. You can walk through a building and map it in like 30 minutes. And when I say building, I mean a, a big building. Like and the multi-story other, building. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing they're doing with that is the LIDAR itself can actually um, identify points of reference that are um, that are important to that. You know, you can you can program it. Right, yeah, exactly. So it can recognize, you know, sprinklers. It can recognize, you know, power panels. It can recognize, right. you know, standpipes, you know, elevator shafts, all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff is, you know, once you pull that data down, start looking at it, it, it has all that stuff there. That's awesome. You yeah, mean, you mean cool. the one-dimensional uh, scanned-in map that I look at for apartment buildings, stuff like that? Yeah, it, it might be, be beyond that. Oh, wow, that's crazy. But uh, <laughs> So their goal is to, you know, to uh, make that package smaller so that, you know, a department mm-hmm. could actually use it. So, you know, those are – and if you think about where the cell phone was, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, look at what you're carrying in your hand now. Even five years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, well, we made we we covered a lot of ground. I think we crushed a couple hours. Too yeah, already. I hope so. It was um, awful fast. I wish we yeah, had more time. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, we can we can do more. Okay. Funny thing is, you can always come back. Yeah, we can. Uh, I know the guy that books time in this place. It'd be good just to pick like one specific, you know, topic. Sure, and yeah. uh, you know, dive a little deeper into it and where we're going with it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, what so the, let, uh, I'll audience? just say this one thing. Um, so the one thing I took away from today. Um, Probably the biggest thing, at least for me, is you can actually put an EMS form in the computer. <laughs> Believe it or not, you can. Really? Yes. Wow. That's cool. One thing yeah. I took from this is, Cody, you better just fucking your game needs to be <laughs> yeah. up. <so>. Yeah. <laughs> You're fucking lagging behind your dad. Bad. Holy uh, cow. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You might want to invite him inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, well, um, so I'll just say thanks. Thanks yeah, for coming in. That was awesome. Um, no, that was uh, it was good having just sitting down talking like that. And, it, and it's like we said when we came in here, there really wasn't a script, and it just kind of went where it went. But uh, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and a lot of things happening. I wish I could share more with you. But, yeah, and it's yeah. super positive too. Stuff that will make us better in the future, which is which is pretty damn cool. You're willing to come back? We'll definitely have you back. Yeah. Let the audience figure out what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our feedback 
help drives most of this. So that's all, that, that'll be fantastic. You know, it'd be good to get him and Don Abbott in the same room and talk to him about that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. We throw <laughs> numbers own. all around. Yeah. Well, now because they can uh-huh. actually talk about yeah. communication and all that other stuff. 1.21 gigawatts. 21 gigawatts. Come uh, yeah. on, man. <laughs> well, no, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for... Thanks for actually passing some of that knowledge on to us because there, there's a lot of guys that don't know a lot of that stuff we talked about today. Like so, like there's a lot of stuff that I learned today um, that I didn't know. So. Yeah, you know, and I was telling Cody this the other t- day too is that you know things happened in the past for a reason, and as an organization grows, is you may not remember the context and the reasons why mm-hmm. things were done. That historical reference, that historical reference point on why it was done that way, and then you know you lose. You lose, and then you go. Well, why don't we just go ahead and do it the other way? Right. And there's a, there's reasons why. So now yeah, there was pain and misery that got yeah. us there. All I know is Chris Stewart, and Mike Rowe, fucking screwed up a hundred twenty million dollar deal for that company. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they still got to do it. It just was a little delayed. <laughs> About twenty years. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what's next for you? Keep working for FirstNet for a while? No, yes, I'm still do that for a while. Um, there's a lot of value to, to that, and uh, I still get, you know, I get to go visit, you know, public, other public safety agencies, and so it's still uh, So quite, probably the most important, well, the most important <laughs> and the most famous thing he does is he's the, the chief scorer for the Arizona Interscholastic Cycling League. So <laughs> oh, I don't care yeah. what he quits, he can't, yeah, quit, can't that. quit that. I'm the CIO for them. <laughs> <laughs> And you're the only person in information technology yeah. for them. So we have him and the guy that actually uh, was the programmer for CAD. There are timers. Yeah, guy, guys yeah. that have built this gigantic infrastructure just yeah. running laptops, keeping times at bike races for us. Yeah, we wired all the CVs and all that stuff for you guys. Oh, <laughs> so, Jesus. Yeah. Both guys severely underpaid, but hopefully you're getting paid better now. Oh, so, yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh just want to let you know, uh, same things as we always talk about. You can download the podcast on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, all that good stuff. Write us review. Give us your feedback. Um, outside Lipson of that. website. Yeah, the Lipson website somewhere out there. Just get on Lipson and search Make the Difference. Uh, we fuck that website up every time. But appreciate you guys listening, and we will get back to you soon. Thanks. <laughs>